fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It's a 30-something movie podcast. Bangarang. It's Hook. Bangarang. Bangarang, gentlemen. Rufio. Oh. That's how I wrote it in my notes when I went through and I wrote, like, all the cast members and everything else. I, and Nora was sitting next to me while I was writing it. I just did Ru-Fi-O. She's like, are you really going to write it that way? I said, not only am I going to write it that way, I'm going to say it that way. Every yeah, man. time I say it. Uh, what blew her mind is, as I was pulling up all the information on you know other stuff the actors have been in when we go through the whole you know spiel at the beginning of the show here, um, she has been watching the Avatar cartoon, the uh, like the Legend of Korra and the Avatar, and I guess um, Dante Basco. Um, apparently, he's he's a big voice actor in a lot of different cartoons, hmm. so he was in those. He was in Star Wars Rebels. Um, been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's fun. I. I... I did a deep dive. Actually, I did a deep dive into trivia for this movie for some reason, you know, and, 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 and same thing. I like looked up, what else has that guy been in? And it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this Yeah. trivia that I found that I'm like, you know, all trivia is kind of interesting, but for some reason, the trivia and all the different connections in this movie was kind of fun to take a deep dive into. Yeah. So, uh, well tonight we've got, we've got a little bit more of a full house tonight. Uh, I've got Bo, I've got Pat and I've got Jeff. Guys, how you doing? Great, John. Hey, guys, well, how, how are, are you? you? Hi, everyone. I'm excited you're here, Jeff. I'm 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 really happy to be here. Yeah. You know, I'd I'd actually I'm going to interrupt this broadcast and take a moment um, and pull the curtain back for a lot of our loyal listeners and kind of let them know about the the stand up people that you are, um, and and I I mean that in all sincerity. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret that I haven't been on a lot of episodes, um, mostly because right now I've got two small kids and time is of the essence and doesn't always work out for me to, to, to get on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I was looking forward to our recording of hook, which we were going to do last week and, um, ended up being delayed at, at the airport and I was going to miss it. And, you know, when I messaged that to you guys that, you know, I was going to jump back in and I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, instantly the, the response was, well, let's do it next week. You know? So I just, I, it, it may seem like a very small thing, but to me it was a really big gesture of the, uh, the type of guys you are and so willing just to, without hesitation, reschedule some things so I could join you guys for this movie. So 
Thank you very much. I, I, I miss talking movies with you guys. I miss talking to you guys in general. Um, so I really do appreciate the fact that you uh, so quickly changed your plans to be able to accommodate my schedule a little bit so I could join in the conversation this week. So thank you guys. Oh, you're welcome. Of course. You're welcome. Well, yeah, we to, man. We had to make sure you survived Lucifer first and then. <laughs> Dude, man, that airport is crazy. <laughs> But then again, a lot of things in Colorado are. Well, um, so now that all the sappy stuff is out of the way, I would want. I also want to say that I have been listening to the episodes that you guys have done, and I'm really enjoying your stuff. You know, it's it's entertaining. It, it you know, I find myself talking back at my phone when as I'm listening, and I'm realizing wait, they can't hear me because I'm not on with them. Um, but no, it, it it's it's been really cool. It's been great to uh, still keep up and hearing your thoughts and opinions and ideas. And, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed, enjoyed listening. And I, I wanted to circle back for a moment to the JFK episode that was that last week or two weeks ago. Uh, that's, uh, that's probably a couple of weeks now. Um, first of all, great episode, really good episode. But I, if I recall, did you guys bring up the music from JFK? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think we did. There were a couple of things. I don't know if we did. There were a couple things we forgot about. A couple of things I was going to mention, um, Woody Harrelson's dad and completely forgot to talk about that. And then I don't think we talked about the music. Cause it's, it's a beautiful piece by John Williams. Um, you know, well, I mean the whole score is by John Williams, Mm -hmm. but there's a, a piece specifically that I'm thinking of. And in the concert version, it's, it's, called the prologue from JFK and what it got me thinking about, and there, there's a little story here, but what it got me thinking about is when I was in high school, I would have had to be a junior or senior because, you know, I pretty ballsy move on my part for what I did. Um, but we had every year we had a, a band concert in the fall and it was it was the marching band in a concert setting. So we all wore our marching band regalia and and we were sitting uh, doing a performance and our band director at the time had this grand idea. So picture, if you will, an auditorium. So this, this concert took place in an auditorium and his vision was audiences seated. The lights go out, except for the aisle, the runner lights and in, in a darkened auditorium, the band makes an entrance from the front, from the back, from the sides, come down the steps, go up the steps, surround the audience. And in the dark, you start hearing the prologue from JFK. I don't know how familiar you are with the, um, with the music. So imagine this in a darkened theater, right? And from the back of one side of the theater, you hear a trumpet. And then from the back of the other side of the theater, you hear this next trumpet line. So that was his vision. That was his plan. That's what he wanted to do. And for the life of him, he couldn't figure out how are we going to make this work? Because I can't conduct 
in the dark. That's and during re- usually, yeah. So during a rehearsal one day, because it was the fall, I just reached in my backpack, pulled out a glow stick because it was Halloween time, and I just got up from where I was sitting in the low brass section, walked over to the lights in the band room, killed all the lights. So also while he was talking, I just did this. Mm-hmm. Now he's in pitch black and I cracked the glow stick and I handed it to him. And I said, let's try this. And because of that idea, it helped bring his vision to life for this concert. Now, That's super cool. How, how does that affect now? It really got me thinking about that moment and how influential this teacher was to me and my passion for music. And, and, and Pat and I have talked music many, many times and uh, jazz specifically. He was, uh, Dave Boggs was a, a student of jazz. Um, so I've been thinking about it so much since listening to the JFK episode that I tracked him down and sent him an email some 25 years after I last saw him. And sure enough, he emailed me back within the next day. So he and I have been now emailing back and forth and getting caught up 25 plus years after I was a student of his, all because of music, all because of the opportunity he he gave his students to be part of the creative process. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. That's one of the memories I have of JFK was actually that piece of music and having played that in high school and, and, contributing to that moment of a really cool concert performance of that piece. Nice. Yeah, man. That's really cool. Is he, that's is he really still cool. teaching or is he retired? He's currently teaching at uh, Eastern Illinois university. Okay. So I'm not sure how many more years he has yeah. that he's going to be teaching, but he's, I think assistant director of bands okay. um, out there. So Dave Boggs, thank you very much for all you've done for all of your students. And especially this guy who 25 years later still has a strong passion for music and jazz. And a lot of that is because of, of him sharing his own passion. So that's my JFK story. There you go. Very cool. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I'm feeling very sappy and sentimental tonight. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but you know, you hear those themes and it just, it, it, yeah, it can just take you back to another place and time and kind of bring up the feels. And sometimes it's related to the movie. Sometimes it's unrelated to the movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing and for playing that awesome theme. Cause yeah, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, And it just, and I mean, in that setting in a darkened theater, when you just hear these, these, these horns coming out of nowhere. Then there's yes. a part later in the piece when the music kind of picks up and that's when the music start, or the lights started to a, uh, started to, to turn on slowly just in mm-hmm. time with the pacing and tempo of the music. I don't, it was great. It was so cool. That's well, awesome. Pat, after, after last week, I spent a lot of time today, uh, listening to the, um, uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves suite. <sighs> Just yeah, it was it was on repeat. <laughs> well, yeah. I was trying to get some work done today. I'm, yeah, I am bummed I missed that episode, but I, I'm me too. To listening to it, love that movie. It, it, it really, it really just a, we'll go we'll go recap. Yeah, it really was good, and it's funny. You know, I said John, we need to, or no, I didn't say, but I'm like, I got to text John. Like, let's do round two of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and just talk about the soundtrack because, yeah. wow, it was really something you know and i hope the soundtrack show please if anyone is listening to this 
please, uh, David W. Collins of the soundtrack show, please break down the music of Robin Hood and and all that because it's just, yeah, it's I'll, it's pretty awesome. I'll send I'll send him a tweet. Yeah, tweet him because he hasn't. I don't think there's been any new shows recently or have there. He's hoping in August to wrap up his Zelda series. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah. I, I went, I, I went at him trying to get him to do an ET episode. Yeah. And he said maybe October of this year. So fingers crossed. Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, now that I know that you guys are hitting him on both of those angles, I'm going to write him about doing the rocketeer. The rock who? Don't you read, Don't the, you papers? read the papers? I've been a little busy. <laughs> oh man, we've trained each other well. Not never yes. gets old. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, before we get into hook, uh, actually, we've got a little bit of news here in just a second. But uh, very, very quickly, we do spoil the movies we talk about. So this is your only warning. Uh, the Thirty Something Movie Podcast is also part of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. This episode is sponsored by Scene Stealers International Convention Agent. We have a top class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic Con or event. For more information, check out www.scenestealersglobal.com, and then you can also visit our website, thirtypodcast.com, where you can rate, uh, rate the show, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Um, we've got, we've got some great stuff coming out. So we got stripes is going to be coming out soon on Patreon. We just did the Thrawn, uh, book series from star Wars from back in the nineties. Um, got some other great stuff coming out there. And, uh, if I can ever get around to finishing some of them, uh, I would like to do one on the Razzies of 1991. And, um, I, uh, I, I made it through cool as ice. Ooh. And I felt like that That's... was an accomplishment. I, we I had a, we had a long discussion about that movie in my house. Did you? Yeah. Cause neither of us have seen it, but we read a little bit about it and we're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's something we could do uh, I... <laughs> and not lose our ever loving mind. Yeah. Anyway. I... Okay. Well, I'm just going to steal a line from animal house. Hmm. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Yeah. I watched the motorcycle scene from Cool as Ice because that's, I saw there was a motorcycle on the cover. That's probably and, all you need. And and I, I remember I was like, you know, guys, as long as there's a motorcycle in the movie, it can pass. No, it can't. I watched the motorcycle scene in the movie, guys. <laughs> I'm thinking about recanting that statement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I watched it, and, just, and for and, and for Pat to say that, I mean, that's I'm, a thing. Well, and the bikes. I mean, and then, and it, I'm not sure what rubbed me the wrong way. First of all, it's cheesies. I'll get out, okay. But then it was like maybe I got to see the whole movie. But then he's like, what he's what he's uh, he he's just so uh, uh, mean to the to the gal riding the horse. He's just a jerk, and I'm just like what. Why am I even watching? Like at that point, I'm just like, well, okay, okay, that that's that's that. I'm, I'm like, maybe the movie will provide some context. The the horse and motorcycle scene in Hot Shots was more touching and romantic. Well, the horse and motorcycle scene in Hot Shots was 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 comedy, which made it good. You know, inherently, you know what I'm saying. I mean, and this was not trying to be comedy. Yeah, like was the love scene in the room better? Than cool as ice. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah, because because oh, that. Oh, I'm definitely not watching cool as ice. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's no need for me to do that. Yeah, no, no, it's it's bad. 
All right. Well, that's until we do the Razzies episode. That's all I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure that our viewers don't need to like hear when the um, Razzies episode recording will take place. But do you have an approximate date for that? If you can send that out just so I can begin to watch the movies, okay. you know, kind of like a slow drip type thing. I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you know. Speaking of Forrest Gump, which you were just quoting, yeah. um, I believe that's on the list of the next season of the movies that made us. Oh, really? Which oh, I believe, that's right. Very nice. I believe it comes out this Friday. Okay. I think. Nice. I think. Okay. So, I don't know. That's all I got there. Yeah. And then uh, before we get into our news stuff, um, I did send out the uh, the voting uh, spreadsheet and form for the listeners to be able to access to Jeff. I saw you had hopped on there as well. Um, yeah, I just, I just voted on it today because you know, today's the first day I've turned on my computer in the last two months. But, uh, yeah, so we've already got, uh, based on, uh, based on your guys votes and, um, you know, Dennis, who's going to put in his votes probably like halfway through, uh, 2022, but that's all right. Um, I think we got some listener votes too. So we've already got some locked in, uh, some that are already like, we're definitely doing these, a uh, few good men, league of their own, uh, Aladdin army of darkness, Batman army returns, Dracula, Buffy, the vampire slayer. So we've already got some that are definites locked in for next year. So that's kind of fun to see. Um, I was excited to see sneakers on that list. Yeah. I love that movie. No more secrets. Sneakers, sneakers definitely made the cut. Um, noises off was on that list, and we have to do mm-hmm. noises off. Okay, because it is such a, it's a, a clinic of comedic acting. It's a clinic of different styles of comedic acting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have people like Carol Burnett and John Ritter, uh, Marklin Baker. Uh, Denholm Elliott, you know, they all bring um, different styles of comedy to this thing. But my God, I, it's one of my, it's one of my favorites. I love, I've, I don't know how many times I've seen the movie. Um, I've only seen it live once and it, it's, it's fun because it's, it's not about the story that it's a play within a play. It's not about the story that, the actors are trying to put on in their play, they're performing doors and sardines. It's about how to actors. <laughs> it's about how do actors survive, especially when poop hits the fan. And it's, it's, you know, the, what you need to know about the play they're putting on, they brilliantly give you in the first third of the movie. Cause it's all about the timing of things. I, I don't know. It's great. It's so much fun. Yeah, I quote I quoted a lot, and I always feel bad quoting because no one knows what the hell I'm quoting. But there are so many great lines. Donna and I used. We were watching an episode of Frasier the other day, and they were in a lake in a lake house that happened to have a lot of doors, and that was the farce of the whole thing. It mm-hmm. was like noises off done by the cast of Frasier, and yeah. we just looked at each other at the same moment, and we were both thinking doors and sardines, doors and sardines, <laughs> knocking upstairs, upstairs. Ballcocks, your ballcocks, Governor. Oh, I might have to watch it tonight. <laughs> That's so good. I love it so much. 
anyway. right. Well, I yeah. have that one. I have that one marked down as a must do. And then what was the other? Oh, Radio Flyer. I, I think I'm the only one that clicked on Radio Flyer. Beautiful movie. I don't know if I've ever yeah. seen it. It's it's a little bit of a tearjerker, a little bit more of it's it's a heavy handed emotional film, emotional story about how a uh, if I rem- it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I want to say it's a very young Elijah Wood that stars yeah. in it. I and didn't know is, that, so maybe I have seen the, it now that you say that. He's the victim of child abuse, and it's about his journey to, I want to say, either save himself or save his younger brother. But it's, ah, it's as you as you say so, all this, I now feel like I've seen it. I gotta go look this so, up again. It's so beautifully told. It's so beautifully told. But anyway, nice. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'll mark a couple of them on here. If we have some that that don't get the votes they need, but we still want to do them, you guys just let me know which ones, which ones you're super passionate about because I feel like if I'm going to drag everybody through doing alien three, when I'm the only person that voted for it, then I got to give you guys a movie as well that whatever, whatever you want to do it, it gets a pass regardless of how many votes it gets. We're, we're, we're not really going to do alien three, are we? Bet your sweet bippy. We are. I was just going to say, um, do you know of who you speak right now? I, know, I just thought it might be worth asking. Maybe if the public got behind us and, <laughs> tweeted at, at tweeted at the show and said no no don't do Alien Three. No that that's fine. I'll just if if nobody else shows up for Alien Three, I will record myself four different ways and just splice it all together. So I just have a conversation with myself about it. There you go. There we go. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a plan. It'll be John cubed instead of Alien cubed. I, I think it's I think it's it's uh, I think it's admirable, Jeff, that you think that you can get a majority of the public behind something. <laughs> It's also, always worth, also always worth a shot. And I, I, and I have all sorts of follow-ups, but I don't want to time date our, or time stamp our podcast. And Welcome to the 30-something political podcast. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Dennis isn't here, so you guys can't get into a fight. Hey, man, I'm just saying, don't disrespect, don't disrespect Bruce Lee. That's my point. That's all I got to say. Now I'm fired up. Yeah, that, was, that was like half an hour last week. And oh the my! Oh, Pat just Pat just pulled a Howard the Duck, and he walked away again. <laughs> even even Dennis even Dennis didn't walk away twice from Howard the Duck. I think he thought about the duck boobs. Yeah, duck boobs. Still one of my favorite episode titles: Vomit Breath. Hmm. I thought you were about to say duck boobs, and I'm like, you did not call it duck boob. No, we didn't. But now that you've said it four times, I feel like that needs to be the title of this episode. Duck boobs and really confuse people. Booby trap. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about hook. All right. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of things that are inexplicable and we can probably argue about, uh, we got some news. Here's the news. Another action-filled adventure. All right, so we got a little bit of news this time, and the news has anyone, has anyone heard that there it's there's a, this big thing coming out now saying that Bruce Lee is overrated. Just saying, man. Just saying. Just saying. 
I'm just kidding. He is not overrated. He is anything. He's underrated and underappreciated. But John, what's the news? Right. Pat, I've I've got the I've got the button ready in case you want to say anything. No, man, it's all good. It's all good. You should do it anyway while Pat's talking, just so people can keep he's yeah. cursing the whole time. It's like those uh, it's like those unnecessary uh, yeah, censorship it's... things when they would do like Mr. Rogers or they did, yeah. Have you, the the best one is the count. Yes. Yeah, that was good. Or the the news anchors. Have mm-hmm. you seen the news anchors one? Yeah. Yes. Where, where every every time they come back from someone that's uh, on assignment and they say thank you, whoever they beep it so it's beep you. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Anyway, All right. what's the well, news, John? The news we have is somewhat disturbing. Um, that uh, came out a little bit earlier this week. So Indiana Jones Five, the the little movie that probably might not. Um, it's the filming. idea behind the idea that they're even making an Indiana Jones five is somewhat disturbing, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So Indy five, um, Harrison Ford is thousand. Gonna, Sorry. Yeah, there we go. Indy 5,000. Um, Harrison Ford is going to obviously replay the role of Indiana Jones as um, 5,000 years old Indiana Jones. Right. Once he heals from his injury that he received on the set. Correct. So, because he gets injured in every damn movie that he makes now. Right. Star, mm. Wars, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, yeah. Because wait for it, he old! Uh-huh. Well, Which I, I, got, I got confused. I thought he was going to be in that new M. Night Shyamalan movie, but he's not. It's called Old. I, I know. That's, no, that's the, uh, the, the Dennis Matouche story. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh. All right. <laughs> Dennis's old loose shorts? Wait a minute. I missed something oh, here. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> shouldn't, Whoa. We, shouldn't we have him on? I feel that. I, I don't know if we should rip on Dennis Fine's back. I don't feel bad. He's a White Sox fan. Right. Wow. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to. To knock those guys right now, they're they're playing some decent ball. I I, I know it's I it, was hurts, say. It, it hurts so much being a Cubs fan right now. It really does. It, yeah. I just okay. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So anyway, all right. So, well, Harrison, so we've gotten as far as Harrison Ford is old. Harrison Ford is old, and the White Sox. Um, so the new news is that supposedly, and and this is all rumor. Although the the place that reported this um, has said that it is a uh, trusted and proven inside source. This is from giantfreakingrobot.com. Um, wow. That apparently a trusted and proven inside source has said that the magical artifact that will be the crux of the story of Indiana Jones 5 is an The artifact. MacGuffin, if you will. The, yes. Um, is that it will be some type of a stone that powers a time machine built by the Nazis. Well, sure. I mean, you know, Nazis... Stones, that's totally Indiana Jones, right? Yes, that part is. <laughs> I don't I don't know how Jeff, the way you're smushing your face right now is exactly how I feel. That's that's what mm-hmm. I that's what I want to say about this whole thing is uh, the the time tra I really hope this is all false. Like and I'm I'm not one I mean you guys know, I'm I'm not one to like automatically diss on a movie especially if I haven't seen it yet. Like, I, I like to give something a chance. But I'm reading this description, and I'm like, Indiana Jones and time travel, no, and why? So, so he has to get this stone before the Nazis do. Mm-hmm. And hearing that this story takes place in the 1960s, are we 
I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not going to speak for you guys. I'm assuming the Nazis that are trying to get this stone want to travel back in time when Hitler was in charge. And take over the moon. Take over sure, the moon. Sure, why not? Um, but I think my immediate response to you sending this message out was, so it's Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Back to the Future 2 and 3, because what happens if Indy runs into his past self? Right. And that was something that they kind of mentioned in this article was, I guess there were some some rumors or some other stuff going around that there's a possibility that because Harrison Ford is obviously, you know, a little bit older and a decade older than he was when he was in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which he already looked kind of old in. What's that? The the movie of which I should not have spoken. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Don't know it. Don't recognize Never it. Never heard of okay. it. All right. Um, Definitely didn't see it in the theater and walked away disappointed. Okay. All right. I I saw it in the theater, but walked away just kind of a little dazed. I don't even know if I was disappointed yet. You got Shia LaBeoufed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, so one of the rumors, I think, kind of early on was that they were considering de-aging Harrison Ford for the entire movie. Oh, for God's sakes. Bo, tell us how you really feel about that. <laughs> the whole thing? <laughs> Oh, okay. they'll recreate them like they did with uh, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin in yeah. Rogue One. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. So that was one rumor that was kind of flying around. Well, I guess now tying to this particular rumor um, is that there is the potential that if he's chasing after this stone that powers a time machine built by the Nazis, that if they do any kind of de-aging, that it could be that the older Indy meets the younger Indy at some point, and that's where some of the de-aging might come in. I believe he meets him at a school dance, and he sees himself playing Johnny B. Good on a stage. Mm -hmm. Definitely. while While being chased by some Nazi thugs. Okay. Yeah. Pat, yeah. you're Pat, you're being very quiet right now. What's going through your head? Okay, so probably too, probably not enough and too much all at the same time. But um it, you know, I'm I'm thinking about this and, and I'm thinking through kind of our, our cliches or not cliches, what's it our, our normal beats, you know, um where it's like, you know what, if they make a good movie, I'm gonna watch it. Or boy, we're gonna either use a a, a hologram or a whatever in place of the actor like those other movies. And then where is the line? Where does it become too much? You know, the way it was used in rogue one, I thought was particularly effective. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they, I, I, I thought so. I, I mean, the way it was used in, uh, and we said spoilers. So I'll keep it like the way they used it in Mandalorian, I thought was particularly effective but then it's like, okay, well, what's the, what's the, how is it going to be used if we're using it for the whole movie? And again, we're all commenting, commenting, commenting on rumor. So it's kind of like, mate, I'll wait till the first trailer comes out or I see the movie before I really. So I guess in my head, what I was pondering is, you know, how do you go back and, and make another movie? You know what I'm saying? Another Indiana Jones movie that really seems like it comes from the same source material right or not the same source material but the same cut from the same cloth do you guys get what i'm saying like and that's what i was pondering because like uh the movie that we must not speak of um ver- uh, 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 episode four the, the you know I, I don't know if we're supposed to say it i don't want to cause any you know ill will 
But when you look at that movie, I mean, you know, there were some things that were, you know, people bumped on and there were some things people didn't like and all that. And it was kind of like, I mean, you know, I, it, it, my thing is like, I'll get enjoyment out of the movie. I'll find the stuff that I like and blah, 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 blah. But even the look of that movie, and it was almost like down to how the camera picked up the action or the effects that were on the lens. It didn't look like it was cut from the same cloth as the other. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I said I had a lot going through my head, but probably nothing going through my head at the same time. I'm just kind of like, how do you make a movie that is in the same spirit and has the same look as the earlier movies? Right. Almost like the the fourth one was a little bit too polished for. Yeah. For for the type of movie that not only the type of movie it was, but the type of movie it was trying to be part of a series in. Right. Whereas, you know, there's a grittiness to the first three that you could almost say kind of looks as though like. I don't want to say it looks like it's a documentary, but it looks like it could like some of the footage could be like documentary type footage. It doesn't look like it's been touched up, cleaned up, edited, or created a certain way to best aid an aging star. Right. Whereas the fourth one, I think had to go through all of those hoops because it is what it is. Now we we've had banter about what we thought, a fifth movie could be and how it could be handled and yeah. story ideas. And clearly Hollywood didn't listen to us. No, I was like, yeah. Or maybe Spielberg did. Cause he said, thanks, but no, thanks. I'm out. So Steven, we had a good choice. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening to our podcast. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to add any judgment to, you know, and I've obviously a incredibly entrusted source released. Well, you know, and I, I don't even like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? But it's sort of like, here's the other cliche, right? Jumping the shark. I mean, rocks that take us to, you know, time travel to build a base on the moon. Does that seem to fit within the, the, uh, the, the Indiana Jones oeuvre? Am I saying that right? Is that, am I pronouncing right, that right? That word right there? It's, it's thing. I mean, it's like, I, I don't know that that necessarily does. Oh, the base on the moon thing. I was just joking about that. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, good. See, and I know oh, that. I mean, that's, that's from that's that, a, uh, that's from that iron sky movie. Oh yeah. Okay. The, okay. The Nazis okay. On the moon, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Well that, that makes me feel better then. Okay. The part, but I mean, the, the part about this that bothers me is the, is the time travel. Like, I yeah. just, I don't feel like it's not, it's not appropriate. When right. I think of Indiana Jones, I think of like, the old pulp stories from the thirties and forties. It's, it's like like Rocketeer. It's classic Captain America. It's, it's like that whole feel. It's like the Joe Johnston feel of movies. Um, And Indy is just not, I just, I time travel just doesn't fit. And, and you guys know me, I love a good time travel movie. So the fact that they'd be mashing two things together that I really love, this is one of those times where it's like, no, 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 no. These are not two things you know, it's like the first time I had popcorn at a movie theater in England and they had dumped sugar on it instead of salt. I'm like, nope, I, I love sugar. I love popcorn. Not together. Yeah. This is the same kind of thing. I like, no, thank you. It's not, I don't feel like it's appropriate for an Indiana Jones. And there's plenty of other stories that they could follow. There's been a bunch of really good comic books, you know, where Indy was, 
And, and and still, the classic indie and the Nazis, you know, they're after something. They're both after something. Indy's trying to keep it safe from the Nazis. The Nazis want it. Um, you know, there's there's other stuff. They've done the Spear of Destiny. They've done, um, you know, there was kind of like a, a indie versus some pirates comic book that they could turn into a movie. Um, they've had a bunch of different stories. And I'm just, as soon as I heard... Because I'm the same way, Pat. I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to give things the benefit of the doubt because, sure. again, it's just rumor. But at the same time, when I hear this, I'm like, ugh. That just yeah. not, I, I would like to be excited, but when you tell me that it's an Indiana Jones movie, and even this article mentions something along the lines of, well, hey, maybe time travel is a great way to wrap up this series because he can go back to historical events and he can do this. And I'm like, but No. Mm-hmm. A, a great way to a great way to wrap up this series was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Right, that was a great way to wrap up the series. Yeah, Jehovah starts with an I. Yeah, I, you know, and and it's and so yeah, and so that's where where I'm coming from is like I I mean no one's asking me to write a movie, make a movie, act in a movie, you know any of that kind of stuff. Um. So, so I, I guess I guess I just want to speak more generally. Like here, here would be what I would get out of the movie and enjoy out of the movie, and and so on and so forth. And you know, in so many of these movies, I feel like so much gets hung on them. We hang on th- these movies so much, and obviously, you know, I've ranted before about like critics and going on the internet, and suddenly everyone's this and everyone's that, and this ruined all of this, and now blah 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 blah, and it's just like okay, if you don't enjoy the movie, just don't watch it, you know, like that kind of thing. But I think like sometimes, and, and John, I think you brought up this point. We'll talk about the new Star Wars movie or movies, no movie and a half or whatever, uh, you know. But the new the new trilogy of Star Wars movies, everyone was immediately like. Who is that person's child? Who is that person's child? How is this related? Oh, where did this guy come from? And, and mean, I remember you, you said- the new, You mean the new duology? The new duology, there yeah. you go. And I remember that your point was like, you know, in the original movies, we never, like the emperor was just a bad dude. And he maybe only had like 10 seconds of screen time. And it was just like, you never got all this stuff explained, but you just knew he was a bad dude. And you kind of enjoyed the movie for what it was, you know? And and I remember that, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, drawing a blank now, but there was another movie that was like that, that, oh, we're going to make this, oh, I know what I'm thinking of, like when they wrapped up the Avengers series. This is going to be the big wrap-up. And I remember going spoiler-free, I remember hearing all the, God, here, go to the critics again, as opposed to just enjoying the movie. And their big thing was like, well, I don't know if that, you know, wrapping up 24 movies, how are you going to wrap? I mean, it was just kind of a, I expected more of a wrap-up and all this kind of thing. And I'm just reminded of when the one of the greatest trumpet player of all time, maybe one of the, one of the greatest of all times, maybe the greatest Adolf Herseth, the principal of Chicago symphony orchestra guys influenced and taught. I mean, the guy was legit. One of the greatest, if not the greatest ever. And he had a, his final concert with the CSO and the concert was kind of a, a normal concert. Like he had a, a, he did the Haydn trumpet concerto. And at the end they had a whole bunch, they had like 80, Trumpet players all come up and do a big tribute to, I mean, it was amazing, but they said, how come the first part of the concert, it was like a normal concert. And he said, no, I wanted it to be that way. He says, I'm a, I'm a trumpet, you know, like 
I don't want anything special. I just want it to be a regular concert. The tribute at the end with the Trump players, that was great. But he says, I don't want to change it up. Like, just do a regular concert. That's what a concert should be. And that's sometimes what I think of with these movies. Is some, and, and what I'm hearing with Indiana Jones, is, oh, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to take a tour back and we're going to do this and we're going to make it even bigger. And, be, you know, it's kind of like, you know what? Just make a movie. Just make a movie. Star Wars. Oh, well, are they going to do that? And are they going to, are they going to, and it's just like, just make a movie. Just, you know what I want? You know? Here? I'm, I'm going to pitch my idea for the final scene of the final Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say that whatever they do with Indy 5, let's say they knock it out of the park. And it's a great, I agree with Jeff, Last Crusade was the fitting ending for the yeah. Indiana Jones series. But let's say they do, you know, the, the, the search for more money, they do make this movie, and they do a great job with it. Here would be my dream, this is my dream ending to the Indiana Jones series, if this is how they're going to do it. If they have to do one more, is that by the end of this, you know, maybe you get some kind of a, a scene, maybe it jumps ahead in time and you've got a scene of a bunch of artifacts in a museum and then there's a display somewhere that has, you know, a famous archaeologist, uh, Henry Jones Jr. And it's, it's got a display about, you know, like what he did and, and things he did throughout his life. And, 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 you know, nobody has to say it, but we finally realized he belongs in a museum. And his and his hat and his whip maybe end up in a museum. Like I would, and then fade to black. I'm, I'm I'd be fine with that. He finally belonged I, in a museum and he made it there. And but yeah, yeah I don't. I, it's just a time travel thing. It's that that just yeah. kind of it rubs me the wrong way. It's not it, it, to me. It just doesn't fit. Time travel is not within the same genre, and it's just it might just be a little bit too far off. I, if they do it, they do it well, then great. But I just yeah. my initial reaction is that just seems like it does not that it does not fit. Yeah, I, I think the first three films, you know, when when your MacGuffin is something tangible, mm-hmm. and there's you know you have that layer of realism to the idea, it it works so much better. But then when you have your action hero searching for things like like the crystal skull or now supposedly like these stones or the stone that powers a time travel device of some kind. I just like, you know, of all the great archeological artifacts out there that could be sought after still, mm-hmm. why are we making up stupid ones? Yeah. Yeah. There's, and, there's, and there's, it's... Pl- there's plenty you could, you could do. I, there's the spear of destiny. They did a comic about that one. There's the Lost City of Atlantis. They did a comic book about that one. There's so many other actual artifacts that tie to actual history. And that's what I loved about the Indiana Jones movies. And that's why Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I didn't enjoy as much because I'm like, all right, well, this doesn't fit with, this doesn't fit with it. Like you said, Jeff, like the, the sense of this is something that is real or could be real. It's, it's mm-hmm. really here on Earth. I, as far as I know, there's no artifacts that anybody ever said, well, the ancient Phoenicians had this rock that they thought could help them travel through time. I've never heard of that before, so there's nothing that grounds it in actual history. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about Indiana Jones is there's a lot of stuff as a kid when I watched those movies. I was like, wait, is that true? Mm-hmm. i got to go to the library and check out a book and see what I can find out about this. I didn't know that was a real thing. And so it was actually, I mean, stuff that I actually went and read more about because I watched these movies and was like, you kidding me? That's real? That's really cool. But now you mm-hmm. tell me there's a story, potentially, rumor, there's a story with a stone that helps you travel through time. As far as I know, there's not a whole lot of truth in that. 
it just lends itself to making national treasure more plausible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which would be totally awesome because I love national treasure. But, right. Yeah. But I don't think if you squirt lemon juice on the back of a... You don't know. You've never tried. <laughs> but I'd like to. <laughs> I found an old... There's like an old replica. I bought this when we lived over in England. It's a replica map of the county that we used to live in, but it's like what the county looked like in 13-whatever. Um, and it's printed on old paper. So kind of like what you, what you see cool. in like the... Um, national treasure and I pulled it out the other day and I unrolled it and I looked on the on the front of it I was like oh a map of Buckinghamshire on the back I wonder if there's something secret Nora get me some lemons and problem number one we didn't have any lemons okay (laughs) yeah that would put a damper on that project wouldn't it I was I was ready for treasure but I was too lazy to go to the store you could try other types of fruit but that would just make a mess or maybe you get the wrong map showing up right Right. You know, it's, it's limes, you get one map, and lemons, you get another, and now. Yeah. I cannot wait until we get to talk about National Treasure. Oh, that's <laughs> insane. That's, anyway. That's going to be a little bit. Back to Indy. That's like, that's like Pat with Batman. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, well I know uh, we got to talk Hook, so uh, any, yeah, any final thoughts about Indy? No, I, I suppose Pat's right. We should give it a chance before we rip it down and tear it to shreds, but... I already feel like this movie, because of its iconic nature, just like with Star Wars, you know, you, you have this solid fan base that's already ripping it down, you know, destroying it before it's even given a chance. So it's not going to be as successful as people are hoping it will be. But no, maybe there will be a good movie in there. Maybe it'll, maybe it will be enjoyable if we all go into it with the uh, the right frame of mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm gonna go see it with Pat, so he can just tell me to calm down and shut up and. <laughs> well, I, I... you've been Pat Splain. Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> oh, jeez, I, I don't know that I'd tell you to shut up. I mean, I might just say, "Hey, man, it's gonna be cool." Although you know, the best part's gonna be right as the movie ends, right before the credits start, and you hear this. And just letting this take you right into the credits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that theme song. Yeah. I got to tell you, like, that, that's going to be great. puts a smile on your face. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. And seeing it and hearing it in the theater, like when we saw Raiders, man. Yeah. That was a thing. All right. Well. We're here tonight to talk about Hook. Mm-hmm. So let's dive yeah, in. we are. Let's dive in. Bangarang. Second star to the right and straight on till morning. Uh, Hook came out on the 11th of December, 1991, rated PG with a runtime of two hours, 22 minutes, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, who also directed E.T., Jaws, Indiana Jones, all the good stuff. Uh, producers were Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, and Gerald R. Mullen. Uh, Kennedy also produced pretty much everything Disney Star Wars. Uh, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, Our Entire Childhoods. Uh, Frank Marshall produced Indiana Jones movies, Signs, The Goonies. Uh, Mullen produced Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Rain Man. So, you know, I mean, between the three of them, they've had like 
I don't know, one or two successes here and there. Just a couple. <clears throat> you know, just a, a tad. Uh, writers for this one were Nick Castle, James V. Hart, and Malia Scotch Marmo. Uh, Castle wrote The Boy Who Could Fly and Escape from New York. Hart wrote August Rush and Muppet Treasure Island. And Marmo wrote Madeline and Once Around. Cinematography by Dean Cundy, who did Jurassic Park, Apollo 13, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Music by John Williams, who did Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and the Olympics. Uh, budget was $70 million. Box office was $300.9 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 64% cinema score. People gave it an A-. Starring Dustin Hoffman, who played Captain Hook. He was in Tootsie, The Graduate, and Rain Man. Oh, and he's good. an excellent driver, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, driver. Excellent driver. Uh, Robin Williams, who died in 2014. Moment of silence. There we go. Uh, played Peter Banning. He was in Good Morning Vietnam. Mork and Mindy and Mrs. Doubtfire. Julia Roberts played Tinkerbell. She was in Ocean's Eleven, The Pelican Brief, and Pretty Woman. Bob Hoskins, who died in 2014, played Smee. He was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Maggie Smith played Granny Wendy. She was in the Harry Potter movies and Downton Abbey. Caroline Goodall played Moira Banning. She was in Schindler's List and Cliffhanger. Charlie Corsmo played Jack Banning. He was in Dick Tracy and What About Bob. Amber Scott played Maggie Banning. She was a voice actor on American Experience. Laurel Cronin, who died in 1992, played Liza, the housekeeper. She was in Beethoven and A League of Their Own. Phil Collins uh, played Inspector Good. He was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Balto. Arthur Mallet, who died in 2013, played Toodles. He was in Mary Poppins and Halloween. Dante Basco played Rufio. He was in Take the Lead and Hang Loose. Uh, Rashawn Hammond was, yeah, he played Thudbutt. Uh, which when I was going down the list, I was like, how many of the Lost Boys do I include? And as I said earlier, Nora was standing next to me. And she's like, I don't care how many you include. You just have to include Thudbutt. And she's not wrong about that, that's I'd like not, to point she's out. Wrong. I think she just wanted me that's, to say. That had to happen. She just wanted me to say Thudbutt repeatedly. So Thudbutt. Thud yeah. yeah. Uh, he was yeah. in Tales from the Crypt and Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow played young Wendy. Um, she was in Shakespeare in Love 7, and her head had a cameo in 7 as well. Uh, George Lucas and Carrie Fisher played. What's in the box? What's in the box? We did that as our trivia team name a whole bunch of times. Our trivia team name used to be What's in the Box. Um, That's outstanding. And then one week when it was just like me and one other person, we changed our team name to Gwyneth Paltrow's Head. See, that's a deep cut. A lot of people probably didn't get that. Spoiler alert. Um, And then George Lucas and Carrie Fisher were in this movie as the man and woman kissing on the bridge. Um, And they did some stuff together. When his young children are abducted by his old nemesis, Captain Hook, middle-aged lawyer Peter Banning returns to his magical origins as Peter Pan. Peter must visit a foggy past in which he abandoned Neverland for family life, leaving Tinkerbell and the Lost Boys to fend for themselves. Given their bitterness towards Peter for growing up and their allegiance to their new leader, Rufio, the old gang may not be happy to see him. Here is the trailer. We'll be back in a second. Huck. 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 Huck.
The stories are true. He's come back to seek his revenge. Only you can save your children. You must make yourself remember. Remember what? Peter, don't you know who you are? Have to fly. Have to fight. Have to crow. Have to save Maggie. Have to save Jack. You had um, you had popped into the chat there while we were listening to the trailer. Weird music. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the and and um, um, I was going to talk a lot about the music in this movie because it's funny. We often talk about how Jaws makes the music, or the music really made the Jaws movie, or however I don't know what I was trying to. No, I know what I was trying to say. I don't know what I just said. And then and the rewatch this time, I was like wow, does the music really make this movie? And even some scenes that, and I'm, I'm just going to say like, I've got, you know, four thumbs up for this movie, 10 out of 10, you know, all the thing. But there were maybe some scenes that I was sitting there actually thinking like, I wonder if the music wasn't what it was, if this scene would seem a little bit cheesier or have less of a punch or less, you know, like the music in this movie, I really dug it. And, and hearing that music with the trailer, um, it was interesting. It was, I, I kind of want to know what that music came from because, uh, yeah, it was just, just interesting, uh, interesting cues. It, it's, it sounds really out of place. And, and I threw in the chat there, it seems really dark. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the, that music changes the tone or what we know to be the tone of the movie. Yeah. For sure. I kind of well, want to listen to the trailer a couple of times, get that music ingrained in my head mm-hmm. and then go back and watch the movie and see if I can pick up on any of those cues used anywhere in the movie. Cause that music does not sound at all like what I remember hearing in the film. Well, there's a, there's a, on YouTube and I found it right here. There's usually a soundtrack suite for which I wish you could get the soundtrack suite for like every movie, but there's a 15 minute soundtrack suite for hook and that'll, cycle it all through. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to go back and do that, but yeah, it was, and I, I, I put in the chat, it sounds like a little bit of the Ghostbusters meets the X-Files meets the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was, uh, it was interesting. I, I'm just curious what it came from, but yeah, cool. Yeah. I was trying to see if I could look it up real quick. Like what was in the, yeah, I don't see anything anywhere. Yeah. That's- we should start a website that, just talks all about music and movie trailers and where it came from, how, it, where else it's been used. Yeah. And if it was used in the movie that, uh, that it's uh, being used in the trailer for. Well, that's like with the, um, what was it last week with Robin hood, Prince of thieves. Um, when that one comes out, um, we had talked about that a little bit cause we played the trailer and we're like, 
wait a minute. That's the music from Willow. And I had like, mm-hmm. I had like listened to it a couple times. I was like, yeah, it's the music from Willow. But yeah, it was like the whole the whole thing was like a suite of James Horner music that they had used for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I've got uh, I found some I found this discussion here, and it says that the trailer on the DVD uses the Witches of Eastwick. So I, I'm not I'm not familiar with that oh. film or that music, but okay. uh, all right, yeah, do a little digging maybe and see what we can find. Yeah. Um, so initial reactions to this movie, Pat, you've already said that apparently you're you're cutting off and stealing two other thumbs from somebody else. You're giving it four thumbs up. Um, what is your, uh, what, what's everybody's kind of initial reaction to this? Your, your, uh, your one word, short phrase, what does this movie make you feel when you knew we were going to be talking about Hook? Jeff, get in there, man. Or, I'm sorry, Bo, you were just taking a I No, no, it's fine. fine. Somebody go. Somebody go. go. Jeff, go. Go, ha- Jeff. Happy thoughts. It, I, th- this movie makes me happy. Like it just, it makes me happy. The, the, I, I, I love the concept. Uh, I love a lot of the performances. I really love a lot of the music. I was going to say, you know, it makes me like, it makes me fly this movie and, and some of the music just makes me fly. I love it. Yeah. I'd agree. I, it makes me very happy. It's an uplifting movie. It, it's it was like kind of like returning home. I hadn't seen it in a while, um, but it's one I used to watch a lot more. I feel like, uh, but it was fun to watch again. Yeah, that was my, happy thoughts was mine. This is this is my bag of marbles that we used to. I remember as kids, all the cousins on my mom's side of the family, um, all the cousins loved this movie so much. That I remember, I think it was the year, it would have been 92 then. Maybe that was the year that we went to, um, I want to say maybe we, we all went to Florida and we stayed in some condos for Christmas. And I remember all of the cousins, I was the oldest one at that point, so I would have been like 11. And then the rest of the cousins were all younger than me on that side of the family. We all loved Hook so much that we had that VHS and we'd play that and we'd watch it over and over again. Um, and then the kids would put on plays for the adults. Like we'd, we'd take parts of the hook movie and we'd figure out like putting on a play for the rest of the adults. And we'd like reenact the food fight scene, or we'd reenact the, you know, pirate sword fight at the end or the baseball game or the whatever. Um, but, uh, this was, this movie was always kind of a big thing, um, in our family, you know, growing up as kids and, and for the extended family too. I had one uncle in particular was a huge Robin Williams fan, um, so, I mean, this was always, this was always a big deal for us. Pat, your turn. My turn. I already gave it four thumbs up. I mean, I, I just, everything you guys said, it's, it's just, it's just a great movie. It's, it's just awesome. I can sit down and watch it with my family. I can watch it 30 years on. I watch it differently as a kid that I do as an adult, uh, as a dad, as I mean, it's just a great movie. Take Pat, out just. It's a, it's a great movie. Pat it's, found uh, Pat found some extra thumbs in the boo box, and that's how he got four. That's right. <laughs> Which I read on the trivia that Glenn Close was yeah. <laughs> was yeah. the pirate. I mean, folk, go on IMDb and, and read the trivia. It's just yeah. so fun. Uh, I think the was it Gutless was the pirate's name. Yeah. Yeah. 
Those are yeah, and, yeah. And apparently I, I, there's something on there about the first time that Dustin Hoffman met Angelina Jolie. Yeah. When she was like a teenager and she said, I want to be an actress and, and something like that. And he was rather doubtful if that was ever going to happen. And it said, it said that she was like tall and lanky with a mouthful of braces. And like, he, he went home that night and told his wife, he's like, man, one of John Voight's kids wants to be an actor. She's got a long road ahead of her. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, not really. She's no, doing fine. no, not really. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, so the plot of this movie and, and later on, we've, we've got one of our three questions. That's, that's kind of along similar lines. Um, how does the plot of this movie work for you? You know, it's, you're taking a children's story to, to me, it seems like it's got a very natural appeal to all ages because you're taking a beloved children's story, Peter Pan, and you're aging him up. And so you've got, even if, even if the adults watching the movie, you know, didn't, Maybe they don't have fond memories or they didn't really watch the old Peter Pan stuff very much. Um, then at least maybe you've got some kind of a connection with, all right, well, the main character is, it's a kid's movie, but the main character is the same age as the parents that are bringing their kids to see the movie. Does that work for you? You know, there's been a few other movies seemingly lately, um, like Christopher Robin. Um, what's the other one I was thinking? Mary Poppins Returns. So you've got a, a couple of other movies here and there that take beloved older properties and you kind of age the character up and the adventure goes from there. Does the plot of this work for you as let's just call it a sequel to the original Peter Pan? I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say for Pat. Yes. And it's going to hit on the, on the thing that I was uh, uh, saying when we were discussing it, like, okay, how do you make a movie that seems cut from the same cloth, but isn't like having all these things hung on it? Like, Oh, I have to wrap up, you know, uh, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I think this movie does it. It's, it's got a story. It, it, and this is something that Dennis and Dennis is so good at picking these things up um, in movies and, and the way they shoot them and just, is there a story to tell? Yeah, they got a story to tell. And if you took Peter Pan out of it, what would you have? Okay, you'd have an out-of-touch father that needs to find his way back to making the family come first. Yeah, that's a great cornerstone for a movie. You know, kids really aren't fans of dad. Dad's got a lot of struggles. Dad ends up becoming a hero. That's a great cornerstone for the movie. You know, and does it seem to be within the, 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 the overall feel of the of the past um uh you know um you know the peter pan stories yeah and it's like i'm not a peter pan expert i mean i kind of remember maybe i saw the movie maybe it didn't i know them i know the story i mean you know and i think this movie fits in and they didn't hang a bunch of stuff on it like well how are they going to wrap up this and how are they going to resolve this and you know what are they going to like you know and all these different things need to be hung up they brought in enough of the past Oh, well, where did those Lost Boys come from? Who is Rufio? Where's his backstory? Who's his father? Who's this? Who's that? Who's the other thing? Rufio wasn't in the original. And it was just like none of that had to be addressed. No audience or, or fans out there seemed to, you know, go crazy and put on whatever the 1991 equivalent of Twittergram was that said, I, I want to know who Rufio's dad was, you know, or it was just like, it was just, it was a great movie and it was like kind of within its own as a great movie, but all the beats that you saw in it fit totally with what I remember as, 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 um, whatever the heck it's called Peter Pan. And so it, it just, 
for me, it really worked for all the things that, you know, I were kind of hoping on the new Indiana Jones movie. Captain Hook, Captain Hook built Rufio when he was growing up as a slave on Tatooine. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think for me, looking back on it, when I watching it, when I was younger, I don't think I really understood the plot and all of its, its layers and, and intricacies. Now, when I look back on it or now when I watch it um, and, you know, not, just because I just rewatched it, but like, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I definitely clued in a lot more on, on the type of story it was trying to tell because I was trying to reconcile when I was a kid. Well, how is this Peter Pan? I don't get it. I don't, it's not Peter Pan. Cause I, you know, everything I knew of Peter Pan was the, uh, was the Disney animated movie. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was trying to meld the two together and I didn't quite understand the plot enough to really get like, it's not going to be a, a perfect sequel. It's a great companion story to the, to the animated movie, which is probably the most popular version of the story that people know, unless someone's a deep scholar and has, you know, read the play and read the novel and read the works of J.M. Barry and all that. And in which case, good on you, because I would love to sit down and actually read the source material at some point. Um, but now I, I, I think the, I think it's a brilliant plot and Pat, like you said, you know, you, you pull the Peter Pan aspect out of it and what do you have? You have a dad that's out of touch that needs to find a way to reconnect and put his family first and show them that that's what's important. Family, family is the important thing. Yeah. And and that's like when, when you're making a movie to my, you know, okay, I'm a moron. And I'm a fanboy, so I just want to be like entertained and all that kind of stuff. I'd say just give me a good motorcycle chase, but some of our Razzie selections, John, prove that even a motorcycle chase can't save a movie. But point, be that aside. Jeff, right, it's like when you boil something down, and I remember hearing this when they did 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, they pitched it and like the execs were like, okay, well, what is this movie? Well, it's going to be, no, 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 we need to figure. And so they said it's a jailbreak movie. And they said everything that we do in this movie has to be around the idea that they're prisoners on the Nautilus and they're trying to escape. Maybe different than what the book has written, but for a movie, it, you, you need to boil it down and have some kind of compelling storyline. And so, like you just pointed out, when you boil this movie down, what do you've got? It's that compelling, like, there, that's a compelling story that people want to see. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I think where other movies might go a little bit wrong is if you boil it down, are we just trying to click off to a formula? Have these characters, have these connections, have these dot, 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 and get enough people to be entertained, to plunk down their money. Even if they hate it on Monday, they paid the ticket on Friday. And, and when you boil down a movie and it's just like, we're trying to click off, check off boxes in a formula. It, it might not have the staying power that something like this does that seems timeless because when you boil it down, that's a timeless story that you have there. I'm cutting, I cut it, I cut into you, Jeff, and I'm cutting in front of those guys. So I'm sorry, I'm going to mute my microphone, but I, I totally get what you're saying about that. Well, you should, because I was just repeating what you were saying. It's a big circle. It's a big circle. Speaking of big circle, Bo, what do you Oh, have? no! Oh. Oh. Well played. Oh. Welcome back, sir. Welcome back. 
This is Guys, why I haven't been around. I'm, I'm not really invited to these things anymore. On his game today, folks. You're all club fans. I thought you guys had to be nice to each other. I thought that was the soccer creed. It's kind of like being brothers. You don't have to be nice to each other. You have enough in common that it doesn't matter. You just got a hug. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, I mean, you guys kind of said it all, I'm, so I don't want to belabor it, but this is one of those movies that, in the best tradition of family movie making appeals to all age groups and all audiences for different reasons. Like the, the new father sees things that you didn't as a child, the child sees an adventure that, you know, everybody has something in this movie, you know, even the, you know, grandparents can, can sympathize with the grandma, Wendy care. Like it's all there. And that's why it sucks you in and doesn't let you go till it's over. Yeah. I, I, and I wanted to kind of talk about this a little bit, a little bit later, but I'm just going to bring it up now. Cause I think it, it fits with, as I'm thinking about it and echoing the same thoughts you guys have had is I think that if you were to look at this now, I think he'd look at it and go, is Robin Williams really the best actor to, play kind of an action role because I mean it really by the end of the movie he's an action hero but I think he's the perfect person to play this role because he basically when I think of Robin Williams and I think that's why he might have appealed to me so much when I was a kid and why he's one of my favorite actors and comedians is he's basically a giant kid like you watch him and so many of the things he does even when he does his serious roles but I mean you, you see him when he's being himself and uh, or when he's being interviewed on TV and he just he just seems like he has more energy than what an adult should be allowed to have. And, and I know that some of that is, you know, Coke fueled in his earlier years, but um, I don't know. I think if you're, if you're going to have, if you were going to have a grown up Peter Pan, I almost kind of feel like Robin Williams is the person you have to have play that role. Um, you know, which then obviously it becomes a little bit bittersweet when you know, you know what he, you know, with, with depression and, other things that he dealt with during his life and, and, you know, how his life ended. But I, I think that I don't know that you could have done hook. I've always tried to picture like who else could have played Peter in this movie as a grown up Peter Pan. And I, I can't think of anybody else. Like the movie to me is it's, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same tone. Um, doesn't have the same whimsy to it. If it's not a Robin Williams who can simultaneously be an adult and a child at the same time. Katie and I were talking about that actually when we finished uh, finished it the other day when we rewatched it and just you know playing that game of recast if you had to recast who would you choose and you know all of the most of this this film is cast so perfectly well that it's just like well that's the perfect choice for that character you know the the only one that I think I came up with was recasting Captain Hook um, but other than that I don't think. You know, I don't think you, no one comes to mind to recast as Peter Pan. Robin Williams just, he, while atypical of a role for him, he does it really well. Yeah. Hey, I, and, and I don't want to break the flow, John. Um, if, if this question can come later, but I'm curious because I've heard that about, you know, with, uh, 
Dustin Hoffman playing Captain Hook. Is that just like you felt like someone else should have done it? Or you just felt like that would have been a role that you felt like someone else could have done? That it was a role that I felt like someone else could have done. Okay. I I thought he was wonderful. Okay. Okay. That's Captain Hook. Um, But I, you know, as I was watching, I was, I was really paying attention because so, okay. So here's my mindset. The movie is called Hook. Mm -hmm. It's not called Peter Pan. It's not called Peter Banning. It's called Hook. Why is it called Hook? Why is he the character that the title focuses on? So I was really paying attention to the character and his performance. And at one point I turned to Katie, I was like, you know who would make a great Captain Hook would be Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. I could he would picture, be outstanding. I could yeah. picture him really doing a lot of fun things with that character. But not because Dustin Hoffman was horrible at it. Okay. Dustin Hoffman well, was brilliant at it. But it was just it just like stood out to me like I could see Jeremy Irons doing this role too. And be yeah. You know, well, oh, scar scar with his character from um Die Hard Three. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I'm I, I'm I'm worried about Pat though, because if it was Jeremy Irons, that whole line about a nearsighted gynecologist has totally different meaning. Uh, oh, John. That's oh. oh man. Oh, Pat's favorite movie. Uh, now yeah, I gotta go take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> in you, in hydrochloric acid. You, you know you want to watch Dead Ringers again. Oh God! <laughs> oh man! Oh. Well, him and I mean, I, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> I, well, the, thanks for coming to the podcast, everybody. Thanks, um, everyone. I'm gonna go well, him, eat a rice cake he, or something. He and Bob Hoskins just yes. I could watch yeah. an entire movie oh. of just the two of them playing off each yeah. other. So oh, good. Was, Bob Hoskins was another one that was just perfect. Yeah. First yeah. me. And now I was reading on that IMDb trivia too. Like, you know, they, they had a hard time getting into their characters, yes. the, rela- the relationship between their characters. And, you know, what I think the idea that they settled on was that uh, there, it was, I, I couldn't quite figure out if they, if they meant that they were in a gay relationship or if those characters just happened to be gay. But once they had that idea, it kind of gave them an idea of how to play the characters and then how to um, interact better, how, how to have the characters interact better with each other. Mm-hmm. I got the impression yeah. that they played it like they were in a relationship when I read that. But who knows if I read it properly? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Did, you, did you see it? It was awesome. Yeah. Did you see on IMDb who one of the other people that they wanted to play Captain Hook was? Mm-mm. Who turned it down? No. Who? David Bowie. Yes, I did see that. That's really interesting. That would have been. You different. remind me of the pan. What pan? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I'm I, and that's where Jeff and and again I was I mean I was a big fan of what Dustin Hoffman did in this. And I remember walking out of the theater with my dad and my dad going, my gosh, Dustin Hoffman was great as captain hook. That was fantastic. You know? And, and, and I, that's why I wanted to ask you is, you know, kind of where you were coming at from the question, because the, the captain hook character seems like not necessarily like the Batman, but like Alfred, you watch the different versions of Batman 
and like the different ways that Alfred is played. It's always fantastic to see, you know, which way they bring it. Or even I should maybe go, maybe go with the one that's more on the nose, seeing different takes on the Joker, right? Mm. You know, Jack Nicholson is amazing. Heath Ledger, that's fantastic. Okay, well then, what about that next guy that I always forget his name? Well, he brought something even more unique to it. You know what? You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's it's such a it's such a rich character to play. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and, and like, yeah, in this one, it was it was great in his attention to form, good form, you know, and the voice, man, his voice in this was just great, you know. Uh- I found I found the uh, the blurb on IMDb that talks about the the interplay between Smee and Captain Hook, um, and let's see, it was Dustin Hoffman who said, um, recalling his aha moment with Bob Hoskins about the characters being gay. They decided to play their characters as quote a couple of queens end quote, because they felt Sir J.M. Barry, Peter Pan's creator, had created them that way. Quote, Bob and I were rehearsing, and suddenly we looked at each other and realized it at the same time. We said, these guys are gay. And it was fun. Suddenly we rehearsed it that way. Get over here, Smee. Give me a foot massage. We went to Spielberg, and he said, this is a kid's movie. Suddenly it made all the sense in the world. They were really good friends. They lived on a ship. And here's the part of the quote that really sums it up. They were just devoted to each other. And I think once they had that in mind, that interplay between Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins was just, it was great. It mm-hmm. seemed so real and so natural. Yeah. Don't try to stop me, Smee. Smee, don't try to stop me. Don't try to stop me. Don't try, don't try to stop me. Smee, try to stop me. Smee. Try to stop me, Smee. Try to stop me. Get over here and stop me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I I enjoyed. I I don't know. Everyone did such a great job. Maggie Smith as Granny Wendy. Yeah, she's she awesome. Was, she, I mean, yep. Maggie Smith can just, yep. you know, have a camera on her for an hour and just at one point turn and say, "What are you looking at?" And it'll mm-hmm. be brilliant. Yeah, I know. Um. I was taking notes while I was watching the movie. And then I got into the movie and stopped taking notes altogether. But some of her reactions to, to Peter at the beginning, you know, when, you know, when she says, so Peter, you've become a pirate or listening to Peter yell at his children mm-hmm. and her, just her response and her reaction to that just, it's done so well in such a Dame Maggie Smith sort of way that, you know, I can't picture anyone else being Granny Wendy. Yeah. yeah. And she reminds me so much of something that I learned from my mom. And I learned from, you know, by extension, my grandmother, my mom's, my, you know, before, um, before their passing. And it was like how to talk to kids. And they put it on display in this movie that really hit home this time. And it was just like, you know, like a way that she didn't undercut Peter, but kind of just 
this is how you talk to kids. And it, 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 you know, John, your line, it gave me all the feels just to see that way. And it was just like, um, you know, hi, I'm supposed to tell you, you know, congratulations. And, and, and she just sits there and, and just in a way that like, doesn't belittle him, but just shows like, yeah, kid, you got a lot of mouthful to say her nodding. It's just like, yeah, well, well, thank you very much. You know? And it's just, it's just such a perfect way to like give him his dignity, but not be like Peter, like, yeah, your dad put you up to this. You know, like everyone maintained their dignity. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it's grace. And it's like, it, it, it's something that is something that's real. And I mean, I, you know, I've only had one mother and, you know, I've had a couple of grandmothers, but you know, like that, just watching my mom interact with my kids and watching, we're thinking back on how my grandmother interacted with me and then seeing, you know, aunts that, and it's just, it, I, I mean, and I, I could just list all those scenes with the kids and, you know, you got to act like an adult and this is, you know, England, the manners I've lost my marbles and ah, the screaming. And that's kind of like the, 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 you know, the, uh, um, the shock value of kind of, you know, Peter, okay, you don't have to be so serious. But when he came in and he's like, you're going to behave in here and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And she comes up and she goes, okay, well, now there's there's one rule in my house. Nobody grows up. And, you know, it's just, I mean, yeah, Jeff, going right off your statements, that that aspect of how she talked to the kids and how she reacted, but everyone maintained their dignity. Mm-hmm. That really hit home. And it it's something that, you know, I, I try not to be an arrogant person, but I will brag about that. I, from, you know, my mother and my grandmother, you know, just seeing that's how you're supposed to talk to kids. And it's just like showing Peter, Peter, this is how you should be treating your kids, but not lecturing him or letting even him lose his dignity, but just, this is how it should be. So anyways, yeah, that really, that really hit home, man. Do you remember when we went to go see Mel Brooks? Yeah. And he told that story of when he saw Frankenstein as a kid and he was so scared and he couldn't sleep at night because he was afraid Frankenstein was going to get him. Mm-hmm. And he shared the story about how his mother talked to him about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story goes something along the lines of the fact that they lived on like the sixth or seventh floor of their apartment building. Mm-hmm. And instead of his mother yelling at him, for keeping her up all night because he was so scared and, um, you know, telling him it's, it's not real grow up. It's fine. She reasoned with his kid logic and said, well, think about it. We live up on the seventh floor. By the Mm -hmm. time he gets to us, he's already eaten all the people. So he'll be full and he won't want anything to do with us anyway. So it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it just, it's that reminder, look at things and it's a reminder. I, I, God knows I need all the time with, with my kids right now. Look at things through their lens, mm-hmm. respond to things through their lens. And that's something that, that Maggie Smith portrayed really well as, as granny Wendy was yeah. looking at things through the child lens, help it make sense to the child. It's, it's the, uh, it's, it's like the Fred Rogers ethos, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said Fred, not Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers is awesome too, but yeah, Mister Rogers, Mister Rogers' neighborhood. That's what I was trying to reference. But yeah, it's it's like his, you know, his thing. 
So I was reading an article a little while back on this, and the person writing had an interesting had an interesting thought. Um, I'm just I'll read the line from this. Uh, Spielberg has said that to understand him best, this comes from the website I can't unsee that movie.com. And this was from about five years ago. They did a 25th anniversary kind of look back at Hook. Um, and their line here is Spielberg has said that to understand him best, a person should watch E.T. I have a hunch that watching Hook would constitute a close second. Hmm. Do, you, do you get that sense? I mean, I, we know that when Spielberg, you know, some of his movies as he's made them, they're, you know, he, I, he said before that, you know, E.T. is kind of a, you know, his examination of, you know, childhood and those relationships and uh, things like that. Do you see Hook as being, if not an equal, maybe a a second movie to watch to understand Spielberg and maybe how he's exploring the idea of growing up and adulthood and what's your take on that? I, I know we've all seen E.T. quite a bit. And Jeff, I know you're a huge fan. I think it's hard to do anything with that quote without more context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we, it almost leaves it up to us to determine what themes is he, is he talking about that, you know, strikes a chord with him? Is it, I mean, it, maybe the movie just serves as a reminder to him of, of, of how to approach his children and how to approach his family and how to find that balance between doing what you love without sacrificing those that support you to get there. You know, who knows what exactly he means by by this movie being um, so representative of him. I'd be, I'd be eager to learn more about that and, and, and more of how he defines himself through this movie. But I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly when we don't really know what it is he's honing in on. Well, what, yeah. and, and one of the other lines, too, like a, a paragraph or so later... Um, the writer says the actual construct of the story is pretty brilliant. So too is how Spielberg captures the magic and romanticism of childhood. And more importantly, how adulthood need not be its enemy. I think that's kind of an interesting part of it too, because I always felt from you know being a kid, what I remember, and I haven't watched the old Peter Pan, you know, Disney cartoon in a really long time. But what I remember from that is the main message just being, I don't want to grow up like not going to grow up. Nope. Always going to stay a kid you know, adulthood or, or, you know, all that stuff is keep it away from me. Um, whereas this movie, and I think as you get further into the movie and you get towards the end of the movie, I think that's true. I think what the writer is saying is true is that there's the magic of childhood. There's the, you know, his, his Peter's wife gets all excited when they get back to the house in England. She's like, you know, this is where we grew up. This was our childhood. I have a lot of memories here. And she starts acting differently. Um, you know, and, and everybody's acting differently cause it's, you know, they're, they're thinking about their childhood and, and then especially you get to Neverland and the whole Lost Boys and, you know, always never going to never want to grow up, always want to stay a child. But then you kind of go from there being a portion, a portion of time in there where it's like the adult world is the villain. You know, it's the antagonist to later on. Well, no, I, there's there's nothing here that says just because you're an adult, you have to be an enemy of the Lost Boys and Peter Pan and Neverland and that whole ethos. No, I, no, because I think it comes back to the underlying messages relate to your kids, mm-hmm. you know, like relate and, and focus on your kids. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and that's, I think it's, I think it's the out of touch workaholic adult adulthood, you know, to quote the great philosopher, Austin powers, we have freedom and responsibility. It's a very groovy time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying any kids listening out there, you get things like motorcycles when you're, well, actually you can get motorcycles when you're a kid. You can keep riding motorcycles when you're an adult. Um, but seriously, I, you know, going along with that theme that gets tested because you remember when captain hook turns the kids against him. I mean, it's really, and, uh, oh, wow. This could have, you know, potential, uh, uh, allegory to, uh, contemporary times, but he's basically perverting the truth and, you know, messing with uh, Jack's mind with that. Right. It's just like you think your mom and dad read you a bedtime story because no, they're trying to lull you to sleep so they can have three minutes of time to themselves. Right. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, well, okay. And then I'm sitting there thinking like, well, that's basically he's telling you the truth, but here's the difference. Like he's putting like an edge to it and making it something sinister Whereas if you had Granny Wendy explaining it, the very thing that we were just talking about like three minutes ago, it would have, it would still be the truth, but it would be broken down and from a kid's perspective. You know what I'm saying? Um, Do you get what I'm saying? But but that was, that was so cool is watching it as an adult. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah, he's working this kid's mind over. And he's like, uh, he's basically you know, saying the truth, but he's, he's twisting it around and he's painting these things, uh, you know, do, do you get what I'm saying? He's, 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 he's painting a very deliberate picture for yes. Jack to see. Yeah. This is the only way that you should be able to see this by the time I'm done explaining this to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and that was, yeah, I, I mean, and, so, so I think going along with this deeper meaning of the story, I think it's, it was, it was totally right there. That's, you know, that's cool. And when I was watching that, I'm like, Oh man, that's like, that's like higher level. That's, that's pretty cool. So one of the scenes in this movie that I always, even as a kid, I always felt a little awkward watching this scene. And as an adult, it's kind of, it's kind of bittersweet. It doesn't feel as weird to me as it did when I saw it as a kid. Um, the mermaids? No, not the mermaids. <laughs> not that. Um, no, the scene where um, where Tinkerbell uses her wish to grow full size and wants to give him a kiss. And I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Tinkerbell wants to kiss Peter Pan? That's weird. I don't know. I, something about that as a kid, it just kind of struck me as like, kind of like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan, they're like, they're like best friends. They go on adventures together. I'm like, this just seems weird. As an adult, I don't have as much of a problem with it, but you know, and, and that's kind of a it's a sad this, scene because this it's this is why I want to do a reading of the original source material mm-hmm. to figure out like how much of that is based on some elements of of the play. How much of, of the story being told in the play or the novelization of the play, how much of that comes out of J.M. Barry's own words and ideas. Um, you know, it's been interesting 
long story short, Thomas has gotten, and Thomas is my three and a half year old, has gotten into pirates lately. So Peter Pan has been viewed at least once a day, some days, twice a day over the last couple of weeks. So watching Hook after having been exposed to Peter Pan so many times, it was a very, very interesting juxtaposition of the stories being told. Um, you know, and having a lot of fresh background with the original, with the yeah, original animated film. Um, but that scene does stand out as odd, especially watching the animated film because like, while there, it is shown in the animated movie that um, Tinkerbell is very jealous of Wendy. You don't really know if it's because of a romantic thing that Tinkerbell has for Peter Pan or just likes being the main woman in Peter Pan's life or just seeing her best friend's interest all of a sudden fall elsewhere. Don't do that. Like don't, don't like each other romantically. That's too much of a grown up thing. Yeah, that, yeah, very well could be too. Um, but again, you know, I don't know if there's something that happens in the original story that Tinker, Tinkerbell throughout the story or at a specific point suggests or displays that she has romantic feelings for Peter. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, I get, get what you're saying about that scene. Isn't, you know, like, well, when kids, you know, are playing together and they're kids and, and stuff, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that, like, like what was displayed in the animated movie, it's just maybe jealousy of time or jealousy of that's my friend and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, then there's always that, that age old story in movies and in real life, you know, you age up a little bit and then suddenly you start getting interested in people, you know, in more of a, I hate to say romantic sense because I don't know, you know, can 13, 14 and 15 year olds really be concerned, considered romantic. But I mean, you get what I'm saying. Um, and then suddenly you might have someone that's a best friend that either you're romantically interested in or vice versa. And, you know, like, you know, rule of thumb that I remember always kind of hearing from people that were, you know, like, would just be like, don't try to date your best friend. Like it, it, it could potentially not end well. And then you've lost a best friend, you know, and it's, it's like handle, you know, no innuendos when I say this, but like handle that, those types of relationships with care and, you know, and I'll, you know, I'm not going to confirm or deny whether I've seen it or witnessed it or experienced it or whatever. But I mean, that can happen where like you're best friends with someone, but you're interested in something, someone else, you know what I'm saying? And then either they're interested in you and they're trying to, do you get what I'm saying? It's that, it's that love triangle thing that can easily happen. You know, as kids are grow, well, you know, kids are growing up or whatever. And I you know we've seen it in other movies and it, we know that that stuff happens in real life. So that's kind of what I took more of this is, I mean, you know, when I, when I saw it now, the question of, is it an awkward scene? And it's something, I don't expect this from a kid's movie kind of thing, but you know, it was, it, for me, it was just kind of an interesting, oh, oh, they kind of dropped that in there. Okay. So Tinkerbell has always been jealous of Wendy, but now we're dealing with older people. Okay. And it's like, all right, well now it's like that, you know, wasn't it my best friend's wedding? Didn't that have Julia Roberts in it? And that was kind of what this was about. Anybody, I was about to say I'm my best friend's wedding kind of thing. Um, but you get what I'm saying where it's kind of like, okay, well, 
you know, now I have feelings for him, but Peter Pan was my best friend. Okay. No, like we got to help you get your family back and all this kind of thing. I, I'm not yeah. in any way saying that, you know, no, it's not awkward. It should be in there. I'm just saying, I, I mean, I agree. Like that was a scene that's like, Oh, this is unexpected, but that's kind of how I took it, you know? Well, mm-hmm. and I, and I guess, I guess some of it is I've just, it's been a long time since I've seen the Disney Peter Pan cartoon. Um, I did find a site that kind of summed up some of the different pieces about the relationship between Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. Um, and that she does get kind of jealous when Wendy is kind of flirting with Peter. Um, and then that there are a couple of times in the movie where Tinkerbell is almost actively trying to get rid of Wendy or sabotage things because of her jealousy. Um, oh, yeah. And that it even says here, Tink even tells Captain Hook where Peter's hideout is when he tells her that he'll get rid of Wendy for her. So, like, she even strikes a deal with Captain Hook, kind of like what she does, you know, in this movie. She strikes the deal with him to, you know, give Peter some extra time to, you know, get himself in shape and get himself ready for the for the war. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess there are more examples of... She tries to get the Lost Boys to kill Wendy. Yeah, when uh, when they first get to Neverland. Yeah, because she tells the Lost Boys, Peter wants you to kill the Wendy bird. So they all attack her when she uh, when she's trying to keep up with Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, again, is it a jealousy thing? Is it a so Tink's a bit of a mess? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, I, along those lines, I guess a little bit, um, I was reading some of the other stuff on IMDb. Apparently, Julia Roberts <laughs> ran away to Ireland in the middle of filming and kind of refused to come back for a bit. And Steven Spielberg almost just fired her from the movie and I, I guess was maybe going to reshoot some of her scenes. Um, she was supposed to get married to Kiefer Sutherland, and they called the wedding off like at the, at the last minute or something. And she just huh. she was having a really rough time, and I guess she just left and went to Ireland and refused to come back. One of the things I read is that she was not really enjoying working on this movie mm-hmm. because all the green screen work, a lot yeah, of solo the, the stuff. Vast, if I read it correctly, yeah, the vast majority of her work was all green screen. She wasn't really interacting with any of the characters, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know if if she was lied to about how her role would be portrayed or filmed or. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know which, you know, she just didn't bother to ask those questions and they bought, they didn't bother to explain it to her anyway, uh, but she was just miserable or close to miserable making the movie, which, you know, which is why they, according to IMDb, the crew nicknamed her Tinker Hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because Julia Roberts became so difficult to work with on this film. Oh, she, she seems pleasant as a person. So I can't imagine that she'd be that bad to work with, but you know, Jeff, before I forget, um, kind of a little bit unrelated, but kind of related to what we're talking about right now, you had mentioned, um, that Thomas was really into pirates. Mm -hmm. Have you watched it all? Cause I know we did a little bit when, when my kids were little, have you watched Jake and the Neverland pirates from Disney? He just found that show two days ago. Okay. And it is like playing nonstop now. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you better collect all the doubloons. Oh my god! <laughs> can't even. Can't even. Of course, anytime they say doubloon, I'm like, Goonies. Goonies, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's in the. I, I said to Kitty, "Can I show him Goonies now?" That since he likes huh. pirates, can is it least, the right time? Can you at least three, teach him? Yeah, that's fine. It should be right. Three, three and a half is fine for Goonies, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I probably saw it when I was maybe like six or seven for the first time. So I'm sure it's all right. It's kind of my own fault that he got into pirates, but you know, hey, I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah, uh, there's, there's worse things. There used to be I, that old. Uh, there used to be that older cartoon. It only ran for like a year or so, but it was called Peter and the Pirates. I really had a lot of fun watching that one. I was looking for that. I was older when that came out, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, as long as you teach him the truffle shuffle, it should be fine. Oh my God! I'm 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 going to have to make that happen. <laughs> and please film it. You broke the statue. That was my mom's favorite part. <laughs> uh, well, I know we, and we kind of talked about this a little bit towards the beginning, but I know we definitely want to talk a little bit about the music in the movie. Um, <laughs> so I have, I think I've got queued up. Let me see if I've got. Uh, I should have it right here. I've got some. Please tell me it's Flight to Neverland. You know what? I don't. Th- I think it's the main theme, but I will pull up Flight to Neverland. Give me a second. It might. It might be the same thing, titled differently. But go ahead and play the main theme. See what you got. Yeah, let's see here. I was so excited to talk about the music. I actually made notes. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Where'd it go? Oh, it actually disappeared. It did not. It did not upload where it was supposed to upload. So. All right, well, let's let's do this a different way then. All right, so yeah, so I've got the music here. Let me pull this up, and I'll play a little clip of it. Um, I had been making, earlier today at work, I had been making myself a list of movie scores, and Hook was definitely one that was included. Okay, here we go. Um, so let's see, there was the prologue. Um, uh, let's see, the arrival... Of, okay, so here it's kind of grouped together. The arrival of Tink and the flight to Neverland. Yeah, that one was the arrival uh, of Tink and the flight to Neverland. So good. I think the one I had been playing earlier might have been it's listed as prologue on here. Uh-huh. 
That's just a lot of fun. I think I had that in my playlist earlier today with the, like I was saying, Pat, the, uh, the theme from Robin Hood. And these are just, these, in fact, I, I thought about these several weeks ago. My wife and I went up to Wisconsin for a couple of days, and we just kind of were, you know, we're not in any hurry. We didn't really have anywhere to go, and so we're just stopping off in a couple of little places here and there. And um, I found this, it's like this toy store in, um, was it in Sheboygan? Um, ah, shebang bang. I think, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's in Sheboygan. Um, I'm, I'm going to blank out and forget, um, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. It's, it's in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And, um, if you guys are ever, ever up there, you have to stop at this place. Um, even just take a look at their websites, freak toys. I'm going to give them some free advertising Freaktoys.com with the, to- with the Z-, uh, Z at the end of toys. Um, this place was like, it was almost like more of like a museum of your childhood, than it was a toy store. I mean, everything was for sale, but um, the stuff they had in here, and it made me think about this because I knew we had our recordings for Robin Hood and Hook coming up. And I remember as a kid having some of the Robin Hood and Hook action figures, and I don't have them now. I don't know what happened to them. I got sold in a garage sale somewhere on down the line. Um, but they had they had a bunch of Hook and Robin Hood action figures from 91. And, and they, were, they were actually pretty reasonably priced. Like a lot of places you go, you find these old action figures and they've jacked up the price quite a bit. These were actually pretty reasonable. And, and part of me was like, do I need these? Do I want these? Maybe. <laughs> so I, I almost the answer the trigger, was yes. Yes, the answer you was do. Yes. I, I, the only thing I pulled the trigger on was uh, an old um, Rocketeer bendable figure that came out when the movie came out from in 91. Um, but no, I mean, the other stuff they had there, um, Bo, they had a ton of, ton of, uh, Star Trek figures and mm. all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, it was, it was kind of fun to, to look back on, on that. But that got me, got me listening to, you know, as soon as I saw those action figures, I'm like, all right, I know we're doing the recording coming up soon. I'm, I, I gotta start playing the music and such a great score, such a great John Williams score. I'm going to jump in and take myself off mute. Oh, yeah. um, did I interrupt you, John? Were you no, going to no, say no. something? No, I was just going to ask you, were there any other, any other tracks on the, on the soundtrack? So wanna... I, I want to jump of in. Them. All of them. Yeah. All of the tracks. <laughs> I, w- yeah, I want to jump in. It. I'm going to take a quick tangent off of, uh, off the music for like 10 seconds, just yeah. to frame this out. This is a movie that I wish, and there, I don't think you could have done it, but I wish they would have marketed this movie as just like, as opposed to, I think it was marketed as Peter Pan's grown up and he has kids and then has to go back to Neverland. And even on the movie poster, you see Hook and uh, so you know all those guys exist, right? I, I wish they could have somehow marketed it so that it was like, here's a guy that, you know, Everyone says is the real Peter Pan, but like just given the the quote unquote real story, the one that he believed, right? So that when the Cook stuff, when the Neverland stuff takes off, the audience is completely taken by surprise. Like, like honestly, uh, make it make it like make it a mystery. Make it a mystery, or make it like if they could have marketed it as this is got this is the guy that 
is kind of like a real life version of the Peter Pan, or this is the guy that, you know, that they based some of the story off of. And he grew, do you know what I'm saying? I, I just wish, because if, if that suddenly it's real, like the audience could have sat back and been like, Oh my gosh, just like completely blown away that, Oh wait, this is what they're showing us. Like, this is a real thing. Y- you know what I'm saying? And why do I say that is because this would have been, you know, like the first part of this movie was all like, okay, overwork, you know, workaholic, not overworked, but workaholic, you know, distant dad, like James Hook says, you know, drinks too much, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the music, when it comes in, you really have no inkling of the fantastic adventure that's about to happen. Which is awesome. The music that comes in, you get a little bit of an adventure theme, but the way it morphs in, suddenly it's the piano playing for the school play. That's the introduction. And then when he, you realize, okay, he's on the cell phone and the thing and the da 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 da, and don't worry, I'll be there. And the kid's like, okay. And then all of a sudden they play that like, like, well, contemporary for the '90s movie, uh, like piano and like a little bit of an electric. Was it electronic sync? Where's your father? He's got to get here. I'm walking, talking to the board. It's kind of this like real light kind of fluffy music that basically sets this movie as just contemporary story about family trying to work out their problems. You know what I'm saying? You have no inkling that this guy's really Peter Pan. You know what I'm saying? Within within the next hour, you're going to have people flying around and sword fighting with giant crocodiles. And and, and the thing is, at once, I wish that that could have somehow been a surprise. So the first time you see this movie, you're like, whoa. But the music really helps sell you on that. And then there's a couple points when you start to get the music and, and it really makes the scenes incredibly powerful. So here's what my dad does. He goes in and well, not really. I'm in mergers and acquisitions. No, no. He moves in. And if he gets any resistance and well, he needs kind of like any resistance at all, you know, and he's like any resistance at all. My dad zooms in and blows him out of the water. And Jeff, you mentioned this with when I'm going I'm, I'm to stop you for a second because of the, I wrote down in my notes, the direct dialogue that he uses when he talks about that. Do it. Fired in there, man. Fired in there. He says his, uh, his dad, quote unquote, sails in yes. and quote unquote, blows them out of the water. And that's what leads Granny Wendy to, to saying, so Peter, you've become a pirate. Which I, awesome. And Jeff, you referenced that scene earlier. If you listen, that is like, I think the first intense musical cue you get in the movie. And suddenly they play this chord underneath and it's like this, the the strings are doing this effect. It's like woodwinds and strings and you get this unsettling chord. That's like, Oh, and the way they, they do the, the push in on uh, granny Wendy's face. I forget the wonderful actress's name. Well, I Maggie Smith, Maggie Smith. And you're, you're suddenly you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. And then as things progress and then when they, when they come and like, you know, all of a sudden the green smoke and the kids show up. And I mean, that's a freaky scene. Suddenly you're getting the Captain Hook music and it's, it's that great boom, 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 You know, you get like that theme. And again, that's building terror into this thing. And now suddenly you're like, whoa, wait a minute. We were arguing about baseball games and a workaholic dad. Now there's green smoke and people are freaked out. You know what I'm saying? So you get a little taste of the mystic. The way they and then they cut back and forth 
with the uh, Wendy, suddenly the window blows open and she collapses. I mean, and they're, they're playing that intense music and you're suddenly, you're like, you know, Oh, is she getting old? Is she, you're not thinking that at all. It's like, Oh my God. Like there's like, we're dealing with, you know, the supernatural here and the music is selling this, that suddenly this isn't like scary. Oh, granny Wendy's having like a, a heart attack or, you know, she's too weak to stand. You know exactly what's happening because the music's telling you the, you know, the battles here, you know, and then the, what they do the very next thing is he gets back and he walks up and then they realize they see the hook marks and the slash on the window and all this kind of thing. They stop all the music. Oh, no, 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 no. He comes out, Toodles comes out and tells him, you got to fly, you got to fight, you got to crow, you know, hook his back. And I totally messed that up because he says it more in like rhyme. They're still playing the like mystical kind of fantasy sound of the music, right? And then all of a sudden he goes, you know, Mora, and then it's the police, okay, are there. And here's the best part. They, all the music's gone. So it just lands you back in like the real world. We're going to call the police and we're going to find out who put the sword there and all this kind of thing. So the music really takes you back and forth. And again, you know that it's going to, oh, they're going to end up in Neverland. But the music you were just listening to a half hour ago is that do, 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 like this real light kind of, oh, it's just, a fa- and now we're like, okay, now we got a sword stuck in the wall and, or in the door. And now we get, we get in these cues that are telling us, okay, we're, maybe we're dealing with, you know, something that's not of this, you know, the normal world. And then I, I'm going to get off my, my, my rant. But the last piece is the one you were talking about where Tinkerbell shows up suddenly you are just, it is like constant music throughout that whole scene, not only with themes, but it's like everything is Mickey Mouse. She flies up to him. She zooms in. She knocks him over. She's talking about, oh, you are the Peter, pa-, you know, and I do not believe in fairies. And she collapses. They Mickey Mouse that whole thing as she falls down. Like you're constantly getting music kind of telling you what's going on with these scenes. And that builds all the way up, Right. That builds all the way up to when she picks him up in the blanket and flies him to Neverland. And then suddenly that's where you get the fully realized, almost full orchestra playing, you know, that Neverland theme. So the way they build and the way they play with the music to help tell you're in the real. No, you're not. This is fantasy. No, this is just a dream. I'm going to pour myself some scotch and call the police and the music stops, you know, to kind of like make that happen. And the last thing, and then I promise to hit mute. The last thing is whenever they're playing like the mystery themes and all that, a lot of the times it's flute, which if I recall, Peter Pan, you know, it was like, well, the pan flute or whatever, you know, um, or whatever you call the pan pipe or whatever. But they they use a flute sound to to Mm kind of like to give you that Peter Pan kind of esque, you know, vibe to it. And I think doesn't he go under the statue of the person playing like, well, it's not a flute, but it's supposed to be kind of one of those, uh, you know, kind of more of a I don't I don't know what what instrument it is but not like a a European classical flute but it's a little bit more of a um maybe a an instrument that's played by you know in in fantasy stories or or whatnot but like I said the, the I got all excited and I actually for the first time ever in the five year history of the podcast I actually made notes of oh I want to talk about all these things because the music just so built up and 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 gave you all the feels as you were progressing through the story. Yeah. It's just, it's called a pan flute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There, there are a couple of, a uh, couple other 
pieces of music that I really like. And I mean, again, everything, all music in, in this movie is wonderful, right? Um, I like the the music though. Um, from the that they play in the during the Never Feast when they mm. have the food fight, and I really like the music that they play for the presentation of the hook. Here's the I think this is the Never Feast. <laughs> Un- unrelated to the music, but that whole scene when they're trading insults back and forth is probably one of my favorites in the entire movie. Especially as a kid. I love that part. Yeah. I I also, like I said, I really like the, the music, the presentation of the hook because it's the introduction, the visual introduction to Captain Hook. And it's uh, that whole pomp and circumstance and, and parade of Smee carrying the hook after it gets sharpened. And you're just following, you're focused on the, the journey of the hook going from um, where it's being prepared, traveling through town and up the up the gangplank and um, being brought to Captain Hook. And you get those sparks that appear the first time the hook is connected to, uh, to Captain Hook's, where his hand should be, to connect it to his wrist. Great piece of music. Sure, Bob Hoskins has the hook on the pillow and just marching it through town. And I was earlier today, specifically with this part of the song, I was trying to reconcile whether or not the um, the crocodiles theme from the animated movie was a basis for that part of the song from Hook. And I can kind of draw a comparison, but not really. Um, it, it it seems to have the same temp, tempo, the same mu- musical movement. Sounds different, but you can almost, um, you know, it's it's one instrument playing the melody in both cases there. Um you know, in, in the animated feature, you, you, you get the bump, 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 bum, bump, 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 bum, bump, 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 bump. And then you get something kind of similar to that in uh, in Hook, John, if, if you were playing that, if you go back 
um, a little bit in the, in the track there. So I don't know if John Williams had the, uh, the crocodile team in mind when he composed that, uh, that particular piece of music for the presentation of the hook. But I think you could make an argument that there's enough similar similarity there that maybe he did. And I don't know, I don't know if any of you guys caught this and maybe I'm just hearing it wrong. I, my ear is not as attuned to music as you guys. Um, but this time, listening to that piece of music, the presenting the hook piece, it it seemed to me it sounded very much like a ticking clock. Yes, and I don't know if anybody else caught that. It just I, this time for some reason I'm listening to it, and I wasn't even trying to, I wasn't trying to be like I'm going to be on a podcast, so I need to say that this music sounds like something. I'm listening to it, and I'm like, that really sounds like a ticking clock, and I've never really noticed that before, which I thought was kind of cool. So I don't know if that's. I'll go, I'll go back a little bit into it, but like you were saying, Jeff, it's... Yeah, so I, I think you know if we had both, both tracks up, and and we can go right from one to the other. I think let me see if I can find the um, crocodile theme. This right here. Bum bum ba dun 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 dun. Then John, if you want to pull up the presenting the hook part again. Yeah, I mean, you have this very straightforward tempo being presented. We almost just seamlessly went in from into and mixed one right into the other there. So again, I, I'm I'm wondering if when John Williams composed that particular piece, he had that uh, crocodile theme in mind from the animated film, because I, I can I can kind of hear those similarities between those two pieces of music, or or I just want it to be there, so I'm telling myself that it is. I. Hey, that works too. They do. You're right, though. I mean, it's it, you can almost seamlessly go from one into the other and just blend back and forth between the two. In which case, I'm going to, um, you know, turn it over to Pat, the music expert on our podcast. Pat, what do you think? Am I onto something, or am I just trying to? I, I, you're way off. There. You're way off base if you're telling me that I'm an expert. I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Your judgment is now in question. Um, Jeff has just no. had an apostrophe. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Um, no, I, I hear exactly what, uh, I hear exactly what you're saying. And I mean, John, you, you know, and Bo, what you guys were talking about where you're hearing the ticking clock in there, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a March and everything is just really, uh, really separated and don't bump, 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 bump. You know, you, you've got that feel and yeah, Jeff, the, um, and I'm not as familiar with the, the animated, you know, uh, movie or the, or the soundtrack from that. So yeah, when you, when you play those back to back, like I, I agree with you guys. I mean, you can hear that. Um, and now I'm not going to be, you know, I, I'm not going to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to channel John Williams and say, yeah, like he definitely was thinking that, but I mean, we know how much of a, well, I, I say talented and that just doesn't do it justice. I mean, much of a genius composer and musician he is. And you, you got to believe he was familiar with that source material. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure I, I would, I would be sure that that would influence that, you know. Well, and even if he was using the uh, the the stage play mm-hmm. as his, you know, as his source material, you know, John, you mentioned "Never Smile at a Crocodile." Well, that's the music that accompanies those lyrics. Okay. Yeah. Then I think, yeah, I I I, I definitely hear that is there, and um, it it's just it's just cool. Again, you know, we're getting awesome themes that tell stories, right? Like quoting the soundtrack show, the David W. Collins thing. And we're not just getting like background effect music. I mean, this music sticks with you, right? I mean, you know, even if we hadn't seen the movie and someone, you know, da, 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 da. Oh yeah. That's hook, you know, da, da, dum, ba, da, da, dum. you know, I mean, Oh, well, you know, you're going to hear captain, you know, you're going to hear captain hook you know, this crocodile theme, you, you immediately think of Smee walking through the streets or the, yeah. Mm-hmm. God, I love it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I just bought the soundtrack while we were talking, <laughs> There you go. which I tend to do with a lot of movie soundtracks. It's while we're, while I'm recording an episode with you guys. And I'm like, that's, I just, I need to own this. Need it. That's, need that's it. why, that's why we were listening to so much online music that I finally just, I bit the bullet and I subscribed to one of the music services because I'm like, you know what, every time we talk about something, I find a new album I feel like I need to go get. So I probably am going to spend more than 10 bucks a month <laughs> doing this anyway. So um, I did find, I'll share this with you guys. I, I, I think it'll, it would add another hour to our recording if we started talking about this now. But um, have you guys ever been to the website jwfan.com? No, but I'll go I right have, now. Okay. Unless I, have I shouldn't not. do that on my work computer. You're gonna no, no, no. You, you'll be fine. I'm gonna drop a link in our chat here, and anybody who's listening may want to do this too. JWFan.com is a forum of John Williams fans, um, oh. and this oh, entire wow. page <laughs> is a score analysis I mean, of Hook. <laughs> oh, oh my wow. gosh! Cool. Uh, so, okay, I, I I didn't want to sleep tonight anyway. <laughs> yeah, sleep's overrated, man. Uh-huh. So they do, they kind of go into it. They talk a little bit about how, um, I guess, Spielberg um, worked with John Williams. I guess he produced a stage play of Peter Pan in 1985 and worked with John Williams and some of the music for that. So I guess John Williams had the opportunity to kind of revamp some of the stuff he had written for this stage play in 85 when he came back to Hook in 91, working with Steven Spielberg again. So, Yeah, the, uh, the song that... Um the daughter sings. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I think that survived okay. the, 
the when they were looking at making Hook being a stage play or a stage musical, yeah. the song that the daughter sings is the only thing I believe is the only thing that survived that uh, that crossover. Gotcha. But yeah, they, I mean, they talk a little bit about the you know Hook's primary theme. I I like this this paragraph. Um, Hook's primary theme, an intriguingly complex piece of work. Um, often martial, it inclu- it exudes evil, much like Darth Vader's theme from The Empire Strikes Back. But whereas Vader's theme is brutal and direct, there is something waywardly sinister about Hook's theme. Unpredictable and performed in variable rhythms, the melody is always evasive, as if courting several minor keys at the same time. Like a cobra, it sways back and forth, sometimes deadly, sometimes pompous, and other times deceptively whimsical and seductive, uncannily mirroring Hook's own seduction of Jack in the film. Yeah, that's that's just great. So yeah, if you don't want to sleep tonight, uh, there's plenty of plenty of reading here for you. How about it? Grief. <laughs> yeah. But no, I've 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 actually gone to this page several times looking for John Williams information. So anybody that uh, anybody that wants to dive into analyzing everything John Williams has ever done, uh, jwfan.com. That's. That's pretty awesome. All right. Well, we're probably going to need to wrap up so that you guys can use the rest of the night to, you know, read all this stuff. Um, do you have anything else about the movie we want to say before we jump into our three questions? The cool little bit of uh, trivia that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was one of the Wendy's that was growing up when mm-hmm. Pan kept returning. That was fun. Young Wendy. Yeah. This was Young her, Wendy. I think this was her second movie. Okay. I, I don't. In. I'm sorry. Say that again. I think this was only her second movie she'd ever been in. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking through my notes, seeing if there's anything else I want to bring up. I think the uh, there are some shots that are just gorgeous, beautiful shots. Uh, John, the one you have for your background right now, you know, when 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 you see Neverland from afar, and I love that little touch of having the the compass rose yeah. visible, as if it's mm-hmm. you know, it just it adds a sense of making and, and it really points out that this is all fictional, yeah. but yet it's still real. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I love that. Um, but yeah, the, the look of Neverland through the clouds, seeing establishing shots, the village when pan uh, is on top of the cliff after the mermaids, the lost boys set, you know, I, I, I remember as, as a kid, I was like, I want to go hang out where the Lost Boys live because that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Where's, where's that Disneyland adventure land? Not, for, from what my sources tell me, it's nowhere in development. Right, well, yeah, I know. It's also know. not a Disney movie, so. Oh, is it not? I guess I blew that one out of the water. Hook isn't, isn't a, a Disney film. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're probably not going to take these designs and use them in their parks. That's um, okay. Here's one thing we didn't talk about that. I did want to make sure I at least mention is as a kid, you know, as a kid, yeah. you, you watch your movies, you watch your cartoons and you know, you, you don't really, you don't really expect your favorite characters to die, especially if the character is a kid. And oh man, when Rufio gets run through by oh. Captain Hook in the movie as a kid and yeah. as an adult, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> that, that's um, hold on now. Mm-hmm. That's unexpected. So I yeah. that, that hit me pretty hard as a kid. I was like, whoa, 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 a kid just died. Yeah. Like that's 
That doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a uh, that was a big like uh, death of Optimus Prime kind of moment. Yeah, that's a good way to. That's yes. yeah. Rufio Rufio was a was a cool character, and and it is disturbing. You know, as a kid, when well, no, like you said, as kid, adult, or whatever, it is disturbing when. Yeah, you start to see that. And, you know, even then you go back and you think that he's thrown around the references of I've killed hundreds of lost. We're not, I don't think he says hundreds, but I've killed yeah. many lost boys and yeah. that doesn't hold its, you know. Well, so in, in the animated movie, they refer to all of these uh, quote unquote attacks, I guess you'd call them as a game that they play. And sometimes it's the, um, it's the pirates versus the lost boys, lost boys versus the Indians, pirates versus the Indians. And it's all a game. And, you know, they let, you know, everybody go at the end. Um, now, I don't know if that's an addition for Disney or if that's part of the source material. Um, but you certainly don't get that sense that it's a game watching this movie. Yeah. You know, especially because of the fact that Rufio gets killed. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It uh, it adds a it adds a little bit more of a real life stakes to this one. And I think right after when Ruf, Rufio gets killed, and um, Jack, I think says like, "Dad, I'm sorry," or something like that. And starts, you know, he has tears in his eyes as he's realizing what he's done to his own father and, and how he's just disrespected his own father by aligning himself with Hook. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, it's a tough scene, especially as, a, you know, watching it as a father. That's a really tough scene to watch. Um, there are a couple other little things that I that I wanted to point out one. I, I love when, when Peter starts to use his imagination, mm-hmm. I think that's a really, a, a really neat moment in the movie. And it's during that, the back and forth of the insults and then the, uh, the food fight. Hey Rufio, why don't you go suck on a dead dog's nose? <laughs> um, then uh, I have two other things and I'll be done. I have, when when Pan is being examined by Pockets, you know, when Rufio draws the line in the sand and Pockets is the only one that stays over by Peter and he's looking at him and he starts moving his face around, look, trying to find Peter Pan's face in this old man that's in front of him. And I notice it's not until he pushes Peter's face into a smile that he recognizes Peter Pan. Yeah, it was a cool touch. He, he, he does all these permutations of what if I do this and this, you know, push this cheek up and this one down and this one back and this one forward and the forehead down or whatever. And it's not until he makes a smile show up on his face. And he, oh, Peter, there you are. I thought that was a, that was a really sweet, really sweet moment. Yeah. Um, and the last question that I have for you, which because I don't think this is ever resolved in the movie. Jack is looking for his baseball at one point when he's at Granny Wendy's and his sister says that the scary man took it. The window washer. Mm -hmm. Who is she talking about? I know. 
isn't the implication that it was Hook? I thought maybe it was, that was always my little headcanon on that. But see, I thought maybe I thought I, maybe it was Smee because I, we I see Smee is a street sweeper. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes more end. sense. So did he show up in the beginning as a window washer? But is Smee would Smee be considered scary the same way that Captain Hook is scary to a little girl? Maybe. I don't know. It's just you. Not, there, there's no resolution to that. I'm just wondering yeah. who who it was that it that it that came and visited the room. Like, did he send? Did Captain Hook send me to kind of scope things out for confirmation before he came to kidnap the kids? Yeah, I don't know. Well, and part of that I always thought because it makes more sense for it to be Smee. But the other part of it, I always thought of it being Captain Hook that showed up too, because you've got all the like the hook marks in the wall going down the hallway and right. You you know that Captain Hook eventually shows up. Yeah, yeah. but the man in the you know the the scary man at the window. My thought was it was always Smee. I mean, Smee likes to steal stuff, so mm-hmm. food, treasures, baseballs. Well, and then you're you're. It's it's early enough in the movie that you're questioning, like, okay, how much of this is real? How much of this is not? You know, you're still in that. Even though you know that he's going to end up in Neverland, you, you know, you kind of go back and you're questioning everything now, right? Yeah. Which is, which is cool. But you have Granny Wendy talking about how these are stories and these are stories and her neighbor is, you know, she was neighbors with Mr. Barry and he wrote down the stories that she would tell. But then she says to Peter before he goes back to Neverland, no, these stories are true. You mm-hmm. have to remember these stories are true. Which really she, just starts to mess with your mind as a viewer. Yeah. And and and, and I'm just going to, and that was right, you know, Toodles was talking about the marbles and everything and that they play. But the music cue when she's explaining to him, you are the boy that never grew up. And she holds up that picture and it's just the wild, you know, the, the music, the, the, I'm sorry, no, the music swells and you get that kind of adventure sound in the music. And then the picture they zoom in on, it's a wild looking Peter Pan, you know, there's some too where he's looking around the ceiling. They play some cues in there and he's looking at the, the mural painted on the ceiling and, and, and there's, like I said, it's just the music comes in and I, as they start to eke into this adventure story, it's just very cool. They had a nice touch, too, with playing with uh, character shadows. Yeah, wasn't that cool? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big part of the story is that Peter's chasing his shadow when he first meets Wendy in the animated animated feature. Yeah, and I thought he, they did. I thought what they did with that was pretty cool. Yeah. Because you have you have Peter screaming, "Why doesn't somebody just shoot me in the head?" And before the um, the camera pans to Jack, who mimics using a gun to sh- shoot at his dad, he you know the camera focuses on the shadows on the wall, and then cuts down to Jack. Which I thought was a nice little nod to to the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. You guys notice? I didn't notice it until watching it this time. That when the when the credits pull up, 
you have the two stars that still show up against the black background. Did you guys notice that at all? I, you know what? I didn't no. notice that. Okay. When it fades, no, to, when the background either. fades to black in the credits, you've got the two stars and the second star to the right is brighter than the other one. I was like, oh, that's, that's just kind of a nice little touch. That's I've good. Never, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, well done. That's cool. I had to pay more attention during credits. Did I, did I text you guys what I noticed about Jaws when I watched it around the 4th of July? Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you said that they make it to the shore. Yeah, like you can see Cooper and what's-his-face. Yeah. I got to go back. Like, like swimming and, and crawling out onto the shore. Yeah. I'd never, I've seen the movie I don't know how many times. First time that I noticed that. One more reason to go back and watch it again. Okay. <laughs> after, there it after, is. after you're done reading up on John Williams. Mm-hmm. And watching Noises Off. And watching Noises Off. All right. Well, I think for this episode, the only great adventure we have left is three questions. Um, I, I don't think it would be death, so I'm going to opt for three questions instead. Um, so, yeah, three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Three questions. Question number one. Um, is there another children's story that would work with the main character aged up? We kind of referenced this earlier. We've had recent years. We've had Mary Poppins Returns, uh, where the kids are grown-ups. We've had Christopher Robin, where Christopher Robin is a grown-up. We've got Hook. Are there other children's stories that you think this tactic could serve well if you want to make another one and you aged up the character? I've been giving it a lot of thought. I, Jeff, Bo, do you guys have anything? You know, I, I thought about this one a little bit, and I couldn't come up with any that I thought worked really well. But that was something intriguing about the idea of a grown-up Jack going back to see the giant world that intrigued me. Okay. But in a, in a weird, morbid kind of way, to be honest. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, I've got, I've got nothing. I, I've been thinking about this too. I, I can't really come up with a good character that I would be interested enough in seeing growing up. Then again, you know, before Hook came out, I don't know if I, I would have had a, any thought either way on seeing a grown-up Peter Pan, but there it was, and it was enjoyable. Yeah. Um, you know, I keep going back to um, Return to Oz and revisiting um, revisiting the land of Oz, but I wonder if that movie would have worked better if Dorothy wasn't a little girl anymore, if she had grown up be older i don't know yeah yeah like, that'd be an interesting one i can't think of any story i guess that has that features children so prominently 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That'd be one. You know, Charlie's the one running the factory and needs to do some kind of adventure, you know? You know, Charlie's gone astray and he's running it like an Amazon warehouse and now he's got to change his ways and yeah. fix it. <laughs> no bathroom breaks for any of the Oompa Loompas? I've, I've got one, but it's it's going to be like huge spoilers for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, I, I don't want – now I'm nervous about ruining it out there. Jeff, have you read The Lion, uh, the Witch, you, and the Wardrobe? Uh, or the, the books? Only the, only the first book. Oh, okay. Bo? Oh, I've read them all. Okay, Bo, you've read them all. Are you sure? I mean, about, it's been a while, but I've read them all. Now, see, now I'm worried about that. John, you're saying go ahead. Jeff? Yeah, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Are you guys sure? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm giving plenty of time for the listening audience. See, here's what's going to happen. You're going to share your thoughts, and we're going to all feel pretty let down because you've built this up into this huge thing. <sighs> okay. I think it would be cool that okay this is spoilers for the fi- the last battle the final line of the witch and the book okay all right all right i just i want to make sure I just rejected your question <laughs> well i'm just going to say you might want to keep that one warmed up there john i'm just going to say okay um here's what i'm going to say about that the last battle um it's where you know all the narnians and all that have to go to aslan's country right and in there, they find Peter, Lucy, and Edmund. Edmund, the, the kings and the queen, and, and even though they're not the main characters, they find them at the end. And they're, they're, the way the book's set up, they, they got to go in, like the main characters have to go in and see them before they go to Aslan's country. And the main characters say, hey, wait, I thought there was a second queen. What about where's Queen Susan? And they said, unfortunately, she grew up and became older and no longer believed in Narnia. And like she used to laugh and say, remember those games we used to play? How silly, how, you know, I think it would be cool to see a, a, you know, a sequel to that where all of a sudden, because like, like I said, you know, Peter, Lucy and Edmund all go back into the world and are going off to Aslan's country, but to see something like that explored, like, Hey, Susan's missing. And, you know, you could either do it in a fantasy context where she's in the real world and like, where are my siblings? Okay, they've just disappeared. And then she has to rediscover that aspect of her youth to find them. Or, you know, and I know this was debated with this, but, you know, possibly like Aslan's country was an allegory for heaven and, you know, all this kind of thing. Maybe it could be something like that Robin Williams movie where he had to go find his wife. Uh, remember that where he was going through all the, oh, yeah. you know, what dreams is that what dreams, what dreams may come, come. what dreams may come. Yep. Yeah. And I, that's a great movie. And I, I, I thought, you know, that would be cool is if they had to do that and adventure out of Aslan's country, but then find Susan who's still, you know what I'm saying? You know, stuck as a non-believer trying to, you know, get her, get her moving along there. I, I just thought that would be, that was the one that I remember reading that I, I thought would be kind of cool to see that explored. Yeah, that'd be a cool one. But it's a heck of a deep cut, and I'm sorry if any of you out there didn't mute your microphone or mute your things and I spoiled stuff, but uh, it's a little bit of a deep cut, you know what I'm saying? Like you'd have to have read the entire series and, and know, but I, I think that could have been a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool one. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what the plot of the movie would be. But the one I thought of immediately is Harold and the Purple Crayon. Ah, 
I'm like, I'm just kind of curious what Harold would draw as an adult. I don't know if I need to know, but he's got the purple crayon. He was a creative kid. Right. Yeah. That'd be um, awesome. I just went to look at my movie library and my book library down here, seeing if anything jumped out at me like, hey, I'd be, in, I'd be interested to see what happened too. Maybe our, our friends from the breakfast breakfast club. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That'd be a good one. Where did they end up? How did they end up? Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well, you know, if I'm reaching this far to um, to find something, then chances are it's probably not that good of an idea. It's probably all right. Like if it didn't jump into my head immediately, probably not worth exploring. Yeah. Or the kid for oh the kid from Road to Perdition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goonies, which I, which I got to read so I can get that back to you. So Pat, Road to Perdition, as we know, different in the book than in the movie. Yeah. But I wonder if, I don't know, I don't know. I would, I would, what happens in the book? I would like to see more of that explanation and progression to how it wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John, John, I, I, I can't wait for you to read it because I'd be really yeah. eager to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Bo, have you ever read Road to Perdition? No, no. I saw the, I saw the movie long time ago, soon after Mo- it came out. Movie's great. Book yeah. is really good too, though. I imagine. I mean. It's a graphic novel, so it's. Oh, right on. Faster read, not an easier read, but a faster read. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, we knew the kid grew up to become Superman, so. Yeah. That's also true. That's very true. Um, All right, question number two. A food fight is about to start. What is your weapon of choice? Mashed potatoes. Okay. Unfortunately, I, I have a very specific answer to this question, and um, my wife knows exactly why. Uh, my answer to this question is a half-eaten Hostess cupcake. <laughs> All right. There's got to be a story behind it. You think? There's, there's a story. And, <laughs> and my lovely wife, um, Bo, you and I didn't have the same uh, lunch period freshman year. It'd be we? better if there was no story. No, I don't believe like, so. This is just your answer. that's right that's just my answer i honestly i think you've told this story or maybe sharon has told me this story and i feel like yes this is exactly where this was going the way that the uh the the very scary dingy freshman cafeteria was down in like a basement Oh, it wasn't like a basement. It was a basement. It it was a basement. A musty, stanky, ranky basement. All the all the words that end with anky. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, and the way it was structured, there was actually a wall. Hanky panky. Sure. Mister Hanky. (laughs) Um, and so the way it was kind of structured was. (laughs) Howdy ho. You could throw me in the food fight. Um, <laughs> Mr. Hanky, the Christmas. If you have any poo, me and I fling it now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, there was a wall so that the person that was kind of the adult that was monitoring the freshman cafeteria during lunch periods 
there was a, a stretch of time where if they were kind of watching the people that were in line, they couldn't see what was happening on the kind of the far left wall of the cafeteria. So the table I was at was at one end. There was another table of other guys at the other end. And my future wife and some of her friends were at a table in between. And there were a few tables, you know, it was, it was a stretch of, I don't know, maybe 50 feet or so. And uh, we would toss food back and forth between the two tables of guys. And I found that the, uh, it made a very nice impact was a half-eaten Hostess cupcake. Because you want to enjoy part of it. Like, you don't want to throw away a perfectly good Hostess cupcake. Amen to that. Take a couple of, take a couple of bites. Um, but a half-eaten one, it flies well. You know, it's got some density to it. Um, but it also, it makes a nice impact when thrown. So, half-eaten Hostess cupcake. That's my answer. What else we got? I'm thinking some sort of casserole or something that when when it lands, it splatters. Because I, I I don't think so. You're thinking first, more. You're thinking so, more of uh, um, uh, oh god, what's the word I'm looking for, John? A grenade, but there's a certain type of grenade where it. Oh crap! Damn it! Uh, I now have to look this up. So your food fight is taking place during a wake. You're bringing the casserole. You're bringing the casserole to the wake. I don't know. That's what I associate casseroles. With. Um, no. Well, at first I was like, no, you need something like a coconut, and you do some damage. But I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. maybe you're not out to wreak havoc and hurt right. and hurt just, people. Food fight to be a good natured food fight. Food, yeah. So that's why I was like, well, you want something that's going to give you a lot of splatter. Yeah. Fragmentation so, like, grenade. That's the word I was looking for. Oh, there you go. Like. Um, Green bean casserole. That's one of my favorite things to eat. Mm. It's going to give you a lot of splatter upon impact. Okay. I like that one. That's a good one. Pat? Pat, have you you thought about this one? Do you have thoughts? Oh, I've got thoughts. I don't do food fights. I I was going to say, I'm not sure you'd let go of any. No, I don't do food fights. Not my thing. So I'd use my legs and just walk out. You could use the uh, the little uh, ke- kebab skewers once you've eaten the food off of them. Yeah, that's right. Well, when you originally yeah. sent out your question, I kind of got excited. I was like, okay, what are the parameters? Where are we fighting? What's go- oh, no, I meant food fights. <laughs> well, and it was like, cause, oh. Because well, it autocorrected it to good fight. And like, well, that's, that's not what I meant to say. Food fight. Well, Well, John, fight the good fight. What do you mean? Is this is this yeah. some sort of a... Right. Is, it, is this some sort of a faculty meeting? Is this a what are we what are we discussing here? Oh well, in that case, <laughs> what's, I have a whole different arsenal prepared. <laughs> well, that's what I needed to know. Like I needed to, you know, that, depending on what type of meeting it is, that changes what's in my quiver. Yeah, I know. I feel like Batman sitting in the Batmobile. What you know? Which lever do I throw to? You know, which 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 the, which which I um I'm just gonna say, don't do food fights. Sorry, uh, sorry, listening audience. It's all right. All right. All right. All right. Question number three. What is your favorite version of the Peter Pan story? And I will, I will admit that the newer versions, like there was a, a movie called Pan, and there were a couple other newer versions of it. I haven't seen any of those. Frankly, I think 
Finding Neverland might have been the most recent Peter Pan movie I've seen, and I that one's like two thousand or two thousand one. Mm-hmm. And and so refresh Finding Neverland that was about the guy that wrote Peter Pan. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. More of a yeah. It's more of a story about Barry himself. Okay. And was Johnny Depp in that? Yeah. Okay. I I remember seeing it. I clearly don't remember the movie, but. But yeah, there's been a lot of different versions, but um, I don't know. For me, I I think I got to go Hook. I think this one may be my favorite version of the Peter Pan story. I loved it. As a kid, I remember loving the Disney cartoon, the one from the 50s. Um, but I don't know. I think overall for me, it's it's probably this one. Hard agree for Pat. Yeah, for me, it's always been the Disney one. I like this one. But there's something about the Disney one that just, yeah, I'm, or even, I'm, I'm very or even the Disney play. Too. I like the Disney one over the play, and I think I like Hook and Finding Neverland over the play. I don't. The play doesn't do much for me, or at least the mm-hmm. the musical adaptation doesn't do much for me. Okay. Um, I re- I really do like Finding Neverland, though. Like that is one of those movies I turn off and like grab my uh, my writing journal and just start creating stories it just puts me in that sort of mood right cool um but i like hook a lot i wonder if i like hook and finding neverland more so than animated peter pan which goes against my disney loving heart i was gonna say i don't I'm I'm intrigued by this. I I kind of thought the uh, Disney Peter Pan was a slam dunk for you. Yeah, I, I maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe we've been recording for three hours and I'm tired. I don't know. I don't. Hmm. They're all. I mean, they're all uniquely different, right? They're not all telling the same story, right. so it's hard to choose one. I like all of the stories that they're all telling. Why, Peter, my great and worthy apprentice, or great and worthy opponent, how did you manage to fit into those smashing tights again? <laughs> you almost just turned it into a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's Peter, right. My that's great right. apprentice. <laughs> Guys, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is Hook Peter's father, or is Hook like? No. There's got to be a connection. Yeah. This time the father lost the hand. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I, I believe in the story, Peter, father... Peter cuts off Hook's hand and tosses it to the crocodile. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Peter's father left his mother for Smee, and that's why you only see his mother at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it could be, man. Could be. Oh. I like that the captain or the, the pilot was uh, Hook. Yeah. That was another fun little trivia thing. This is your captain. Yeah. This is, this is your captain. I've really, like I said, I, and I said, it sounds like this maybe was shared if I'm so presumptuous to put thoughts in your head and words in your mouth, but reading the trivia on this movie was really fun. And I don't normally have this much fun reading the trivia uh, of movies. So it was. All right. That's, that's Pat's new job for the podcast is Pat reads all the trivia. No, no, no. I, you know, 
with me doing it. Guys, hey, there was this thing with this guy at the place. You know what I'm talking about, that deal. With the stuff. Don't forget the stuff. Uh, see, I forget the stuff with that thing at the guy at the place with the deal. And the, and the thingy with the... Yeah. Did you take care of that thing? I took care of that thing for you. The first thing and the second thing. The second thing. I thought the first thing. Can't take care of the second thing if you haven't taken care of the yeah, first take thing. First thing. Yeah, when are we doing that movie? Ah, oh, so good. I don't want to be Mr. Brown. I want to be Mr. Black. Can't be Mr. Black. That's another guy on another job. You're Mr. <laughs> Brown. That's next year, isn't it? Yeah. It's got to be yeah. next year or the year after. No, it's next year. Did I ever tell you I met Michael Madsen? <laughs> did you? That's so yeah. cool. He signed my copy of Reservoir Dogs. Oh, that's oh, so nice. cool. I don't think he'd have any, any memory of sitting at that table, though, because he seemed pretty out of it when I <laughs> okay when I met him. <laughs> anyway, that's very cool. I'd be more excited if I wasn't under such heavy sedation. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for our three questions, and that's going to do it for this episode of the 30 Something Movie Podcast. So, uh, Jeff, it was great to have you back on. Yeah, and Jeff. It was, it was a lot of fun to be here. I, I'm really hoping to find a, a, a good balance. Those of you who are parents that listen to our podcast, if you have any tips for raising a three and a half year old and a two year old, please let me know. <laughs> I do not want to be the guy that reads stories to his children to lull them to sleep so I could have quiet time of my own. <laughs> I do not want to be Captain Hook in my family. I, I Jeff, I know you, man. I know your kids. I know you like you're not Captain Hook. You're not. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely. I don't think you got much, not much danger of that. Yeah, not, not much at all. You're not much of being the, uh, you know, Peter Banning before remembering who he was either. You're, 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 you're doing a great job, man. You're doing yeah, a great job. You. Yeah. Yeah. The kids thing isn't hard. And that's well, and I'm sorry, I'm cycling off you and back to the movie, but that's what made that so poignant is, is as a parent, you're kind of like, yeah, but I mean, you know, the, the part that wasn't told in that is like, you know, that's where you make a point to get to the baseball game, do all the, you know, so you do all those things for the kids so that, you know, you need that three minutes of quiet time, not just to go back to work, but you need that three minutes of quiet time just to kind of like <laughs> spend time with your wife, spend, you know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. no, no, dude, I hear you. This movie was such a great reminder of the prioris- prioritization of what's important. Yeah. And, and I'm going to cycle back to what we were talking about with Granny Wendy. I mean, remember when they said, oh, don't go, don't go. And Granny Wendy had to leave them. And the way, and again, she just totally like redirected and hey, that's okay. And let's get you, to, you know, I mean, it was, it was just done in such a delicate kid centered way, all of her interactions with them. So, I, 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 that's another thing I picked up on is, okay, like time with kids, time with kids, here's something, okay, kids can't go to everything, you know, but it wasn't, I'm on the phone call of my life, you know, it was, okay, well, let's, you know, <laughs> what, Brad, what, oh, Neverland, flew to Neverland, great fun, sword, sword duel, duel to death with uh, James Hook, I'll tell you all about it, how, flew, uh, with a fair fairy, fairy dust, that's right. <laughs> Flip yeah, fairy with fairy dust. dust. 
Not Brad, have you ever felt the complete exhilaration of flying through the air? Yeah. Feel this. No, I know. How did you get to Neverland? Flew. Now, I got to let you go. I got to climb a drain pipe. How come? I'm out of fairy dust. <laughs> Which, I mean, I mean, that battle. And then he, doesn't he kind of like, when he says I'm out of fairy dust, doesn't he kind of like look off to the side and just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what's up? Like, come on, Brad. What a dumb question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. And that's the thing that just that attention to detail where you're suddenly like, yeah, Brad's probably sitting there being like, what, you know, what did you snort? You know, kind of thing. And, and even the way they made him seem younger, and I know they, you know, um, and all that, like even his voice seemed higher and more energetic, you know, and yeah, yeah not, not, and, and the way they made him seem younger, but then the way he played it too. Okay. Now we're going into like yeah. the 10th hour of this podcast. <laughs> this, this will be the supersized hook episode. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this one. If you want to head over to our website, 30podcast.com, if you want to vote on next year's movies, um, we've got the uh, 30podcast.com slash vote is our page where you can go and you can vote on the 1992 lineup of movies. Um, so we've got all your different choices there. We are at 30podcast on all of the different social medias. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that through our website. Don't forget to check out our sponsor and the rest of the shows in the Scene Stealers podcast network by heading over to scenestealersglobal.com. I hate all of you. And I'm talking to I'm talking to my co-hosts, not the listeners. You're like Rod Bergen, do you read everything on the on the cue cards? Uh-huh. I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, who put a question mark on the teleprompter? (laughs) You know he reads everything. Um, Our next episode's coming up. We've got, okay, guys, uh, the the next few, we're getting into our sci-fi. It's our uh, time and space month. So Patreon is not time and space. That one's going to be Stripes from 1981. Um, But uh, next up, our next episode is 365. It's Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. That may also be a supersized episode. I'm just, I'm calling it right Mm -hmm. now. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is after that. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, 368 is Suburban Commando. Um, And then we get... I have not seen that one since I was a kid. I have expectations that I have a feeling it's not going to be. I was frozen today. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Hey, Bo, you know you're muted? Poopy poopsin. (laughs) <laughs> isn't, that, you're muted. Muted. isn't that isn't that right mr <laughs> poopy pants i was funny there for a minute but nobody heard it oh. i'm gonna pout now thank don't you very much just life. repeat it don't nope. re- no it's not funny now oh trust me it's not funny now it was then i promise well oh, no one heard it I heard it. <laughs> when will then be now? This, this, is, this is like when this is like the time when John and a colleague of mine, I was trying to tell them a joke and they kept interrupting me in the middle of it. And I had to keep repeating myself and they never heard the punchline. And then it wasn't funny. And anyways, well, long story. By the time you'd retold it to the seventh time, it wasn't funny. Yeah, I know. But oh, God bless but it. See, all. If you let him tell it five more times, it would come back around and be funny again. But they kept. Yeah. My yeah. Own. But the poor guy sitting across the table heard it all seven times. Well, yeah, well. come on, make your funny joke. We'll edit out the we'll edit no, the other stuff. No, no, we're good. Trust me. The moment has passed. Are you going to have hurt feelings? No. Oh, I don't want hurt feelings. Dude, I won't remember that I screwed up the 
the mute thing in five minutes. Are you kidding me? All right, man. Remember when you screwed up wax on and wax off and dropped it in the whole other <laughs> that, movie? That I remember. Oh, man. This is rough. This Good is rough. Dennis Good isn't even time. here today, and I'm getting this crap. I know. <laughs> he remembers that one because I don't let him forget well, it. Well, there's that. Once a month. Yeah. Oh. Good times. Yes. Oh. Yes, it was. Well, <clears throat> and so then coming up next month, uh, so that'll be next month, will be our time and space. And then after that, um, our Patreon is going to be My Dinner with Andre next month. Oh. And then we will have Jungle Fever, White Fang, Dead Again, Frankie and Johnny, and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, okay. Right on. as old as time. Yep. How do they know we call it a... Okay, that's different. That's the Saturday Night Live. That's a slightly different Beauty and the Beast. Slightly. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you guys for being here. Always a fun time with you. Thank you, John, for for corralling this group of miscreants. Well said, Bo. This herd of cats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Everybody, don't grow up, but we'll see you back here next time. We'll be talking about T2. In the meantime, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you next time. Yeah.